Hello, and welcome to all the best bits. <laughs> Did something overflow? <laughs> was that? It was that? Well, there was a can see. opening. Was that tried to do it slowly. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is staying in. Welcome to All the Best Bits, and this is a special Patreon uh, bonus commentary episode for All the Best Bits. Tonight, we are going to be doing an audio commentary for the absolute masterpiece, which is uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, of course, written and directed by James Cameron, set 10 years after the first, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, Edward Furlong, Robert Patrick, and a host of others. And now two Terminators have been sent back in time, the T-100 and the T-1000. And this time, one of them has been sent to assassinate Sarah's son, John Connor, who will become the future leader of the Resistance. Hello, Will. And I've been joined (laughs) by Kevin. Hello, Kevin. (laughs) T-800, not T-100, isn't it? Really, was it? I couldn't remember. Yeah. Am I allowed to speak before my introduction? Oh, sorry, and We've, Dan Martin is joining us from <laughs> Best Special Effects Scene. Welcome back, Dan. Yeah. Hello, thanks for having me. You just won a biffa for uh, Best Effects for Dashcam. So oh, hey. congratulations, Dan. Congratulations, Dan. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, my co-creature designer and I, Lee Cranston, um, were, were nominated for Dashcam in the SFX category alongside the VFX and FloorFX guys. And as a group, we, we won. And it was, yeah, it's very gratifying. Brilliant. Uh, at the time of recording, we are yet to do the ceremony. So I, I don't Wonderful. quite know how much of a fool I'm going to make of myself there. <laughs> Dan, you were our first guest to have on the podcast. And you were also one of my favorite guests to have had on the oh, podcast because you. you were so informative and fascinating and all of the things, especially how you spoke about Terminator 2 and one amazing scene in Terminator 2. Mm. Um, so I think you were the perfect person to have along for the ride as we uh, rewatch Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's nice to nice to rejoin you. I'm going to pick you up on your T100, T800. Um, the, the Terminator in the first one is a T800 mm-hmm. and Robert Patrick is a T1000. Um, they don't specify Arnie's model. It is presumed that it is the same model uh, as the Arnie terminator we see in the first movie although when he uh explains himself to edward furlong early in the film uh he describes himself as a cyberdyne something or other 101 model one yeah 101 that yeah. you see that's what was stuck in my head that's what there i knew it was something i i yeah i i meant to look this up and find out the the official law because i'm sure that someone on the internet has nailed this down but i presume that this makes him a subclass of the t800 Oh, okay. Because okay. they're not going to send back one that's shitter than the one that was in the first movie, <laughs> like a T-800 and then a T-101. And it's like, it's the same as the one from the first movie, but it hasn't got Bluetooth. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Time travel paradoxes all over the place. Yeah, so it's got to it's be, be at least as good as the one from the first one. At least, yeah, just one. So maybe it was, yeah, well, yeah, it has to be just one. one, one eight, 800.101. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, can I ask you? Um, I assume you're a big fan of this film, and I, and I, I think I, I suspect I'm right about that. Um, when did you first encounter this film? Will we start the so, film, though, before we get into this? Oh, well, hey. Yeah, if, well, yeah. Will we start it? Okay. And let's be completely honest, there's a little bit around the one hour 30 mark where we're going to want to start waxing about other stuff. Yep. So we're going to hit play uh, at the same time. So three, two, one, and play. Here's the Coralco logo. R.I.P. 
Oh, very sad. Killed by a pirate movie about yeah. a secret tattoo map. Was that Rennie Hernan's one? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. sank this. It lost like hundreds of millions of dollars. I still haven't seen it. Uh, I, you know what? I don't know if I've seen it. We just all know it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if it's not. Imagine if it is absolutely incredible. I'm sure some. I'm sure some people would have revisited it and said, "No, it's actually a forgotten masterpiece." Um, yeah, yeah. But Dan, uh, it's when, garbage. <laughs> when did you first encounter Terminator Two? So I saw Terminator Two before I saw Terminator One, which I think a lot of people my age did. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, and I will, I'll sound like a stuck record because I'll say this a lot, it's a testament to the filmmaking that you really don't need to have seen the first movie. Um, mm. I, I saw it like as soon as it came out on video in the UK. I didn't see it in the cinema. Um, and then I watched it routinely and often from then on. Can we just talk about the fact that these, all these uh, vistas that we're seeing are miniatures at this point? Please. They're fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Like, these, are, these are beautiful. Are they? Wow. Uh, you know what? By the time we get to this shot, I, like it, this, mu- like this must be a miniature. Mm. There's a by the time the foot comes down and crushes a skull, which I think is this shot. It is this shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I like part of me feels like maybe it isn't, but th- I think this is like one sixth or one third, maybe because okay. that's such a fucking massive build, like the horizon and all that kind of stuff. That's True. so big. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, screen to fill. Because yeah. even that smoke, the the, the explosion effect that went off the, in the background, that was a proper, there was yeah. a proper billow uh, effect to that. It felt real. I love that the ships yeah, yeah. and all the the, the the machinery is chrome. You don't oh. really see that with a lot of the, the other sci-fi movies that were around at the time. But well, because chrome is fucking poisonous, and it gets harder is to it? make things chrome now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, you but know, actual metal First chroming lesson. isn't, but too heavy. <laughs> I love all this. This is so beautiful. Miniature miniature spacecraft in the background, superimposition. Here's a thing. Look at look at the superimposition lines on this. They put all the superimposition lines outside of the point of focus. So you you don't notice them. The superimposition is the one big effect in this that doesn't fucking stand up. Dan, like it just doesn't hold up. Superimposition's rubbish. You're going to have to explain what is a superimposition. Superimposition is like chroma key, like this the Superman blue screen. Oh, so yes, yeah, so it's, it's like and you'll notice projection of front of yeah. Well, no, it's sort of, it, so it came after rear projection, and actually I think rear projection looks a lot better a lot of the time, especially in these early days. Um, and I'll try and point it out as we see it, but one of the tells for superimposition is that the blacks are too crushed in the front layer, okay. and that there's a little bit of a black, like a heavy black outline around stuff. Yeah, so I maybe they Maybe they filled a movie studio with this. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff. Well, so whenever you combine filmic techniques, so whether it's scale modification or stop motion onto live action, I love how he moves like a machine here. There's such a yeah, lovely bit a, of directing. I didn't notice that until now. Yeah, it always confused me. It always kind of had me thinking, hang on a second, is he part machine at this stage? That was the the plot of the original Terminator Salvation. Was it now? That he was a machine. Yeah, the original ending to the McG Terminator Salvation was that... Um, the Sam Worthington character uh, took the skin of John Connor and so that John Connor was actually Sam Worthington and he was a machine. So what you were seeing there was a Terminator in disguise as a human that was leading the rebellion. He was more human than than uh, you give him credit for. Fucking wow. amazing music. It's so good. Oh, the music's so fucking good. The music and the font. Mm-hmm. They're both so good. I remember going down to the beach with my cousin 
uh, when this came out. Was it 91? 91, yeah. Yeah, and my cousin, who was about four years older than me, so he, he would have been... He would have been about um, 14 at the time. He couldn't get to see Terminator 2. He had to go to the beach with us, and he was fuming. And I was like, I was like, what is this movie that he really wants to see? I was like, the, yeah. the beach is so much better than going to see a film in the cinema. But little did, you fucking idiot, Little Kevin. did I know. Yeah. Yeah, and I had seen the first Terminator when I was about five. So, Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you still weren't obsessed with the idea of seeing another Terminator I had film. not seen any trailers at that point. Because, you know, when you're a kid at that stage, some things stick with you and some things don't. Yeah, yeah. But I saw it about two years later at my cousin's house, Will, where I saw all those films I shouldn't have, the mountain of, div- of videos against the wall, and I loved mm. it. Loved it. Oh, yeah, such a treat. It's one of those films that it kind of you, know, you can watch it at a younger age. It's kind of plays to a young a young teenage audience as well. And oh, did you watch? I oh, know. Listen, I want to preempt it. <laughs> I, I just saw a video online uh, recently of the the kind of the 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 the, the bullet, uh, oh, the bullet will, impact I, effects. Yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. about you'll wax lyrical oh, yeah. when we get to that, Dan. Because I saw I'm, it for real and I couldn't believe it. I ought to, I thought it was all CG and it's actual like practice. Well, see, effect. so this is one of the things. By the way, my note there is they're just massive chrome skeletons. Who in the world doesn't love it? <laughs> so, yeah, this is fantastic. And fantastic. what we, what we I think, just saw there, the Terminator against the flames. That was the image that uh, Cameron had in a fever dream when he was in. I think he was wherever they were shooting the the Piranha movie, Piranha Two. He'd been locked out mm-hmm. and he had the flu. And he had a, a nightmare, and the, the image that he saw was a chrome skeleton in the flames, and that becomes the sort of the the bumper for the, the title credits in this. Wow! Can I ask you, Dan? Right, this is something that always uh, always fascinated me. Okay, so I get now we have the the, the lightning, the first uh, Terminator is coming back, and right, so he's taken a a, a, a sphere has appeared and taken yeah. a corner of and, the the truck. Yeah. Those kind of neon glowy heat. So ignore the that? ignore the axle tip, which has not been cut out by the yeah. uh, the sphere, because that would have been too difficult to cut into. I guess um, that's. I suspect that's UV paint, and there's a UV light on set. If you ah. look at the fact that everything's bathed in blue anyway, and the fact that yeah. you can't see his teeth, um, I think that's a UV light, like lifting all that color up. And actually, behind him now, it's gone. Wow, um, it's such a beautiful effect. It really, yeah. you know, it sells the heat. It sells the. It's very, very, very cool. Oh, it's beautiful. I want to talk about the structure just briefly because yeah. Terminator. Sorry, can we just can we just address the fact that his HUD? He's the most advanced robot that's ever been on the planet at this point. Yeah. in in human history, and his heads up display is. Uh, like the the v, the Nintendo VR headset, like he's got he's got shit CCTV like red filter monotone vision yeah. <laughs> because they couldn't imagine the video being as good as human eyes. Yeah, it's like still when you see um they do uh, uh cutaways to like monitors that people are watching, they still put in the yeah. resolution lines on the monitors even though no one's had a TV like that in about thirty years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so cross with Prometheus for giving everyone flat screens when it's a prequel to Alien, where they've yeah. all got massive yeah. CRT monitors, and all yeah. you needed was a line about how like you have to use CRT in space because flat screen doesn't work in reduced gravity. I fucking know, but like, <laughs> it would have been such a nice aesthetic continuation. 
Sorry, Kevin, you wanted to talk about structure. Yeah, so, just, so well, there's a couple of things. I'd love to know how this film would have played for people if they weren't aware that Arnie was coming back as a good guy this time. If you hadn't seen the trailer and there was, like, notice two of them, where would your head have been? Like, would you have been blown away by the twist later on when he says, come with me if you want to live? And it's like, you're with Sarah at that point. You're you're with her thinking, no, this is a bad guy. Um, well, they made it. They, well, they, no, they, think... they made it with that intention. They made it with that intention. But the trailer's that, that, all that, that, that away. was a twist. But that, that yeah. was a late, I think they that was a late decision to give it away in the trailer. It wasn't the, Cameron's intention when he was making the film, I don't There's think. There's a moment that comes up uh, uh, later on here when he walks out of the bar and he puts on the sunglasses and they've got bad to the bone playing. And I remember he amazing. He talked about cue. his editor fighting him on that and saying you can't do that. It's making uh it's almost a parody. And he d- decided to um to double down on it. But no, the structure of this is a one for one remake of the first one. So you've got like um you've got like rather than save Sarah at a bar, John is saved in an arcade. Uh, rather than a car chase, it's a truck chase. Rather than it's a chase down an alley, um, leading to a crash, it's a chase down the LA River and. Rather than the Terminator attacking at the police station, it's a hospital. It's like scene for scene. He he mm-hmm. recreates everything in the first film again. But and it's flipped. It's flipped, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's clever. He knew what worked. And he did it again bigger with better effects. And, and slightly different. Slightly different. And for some reason, it just feels like, a, like it's everything you want. Yeah. And you don't feel like you're being... Given regurgitated leftovers. No. Did you listen to either of you listen to the um, uh, Bill Wisher uh, interview that was on the Script Apart podcast that Al Horner Horner does? I did. uh, Yeah. Discuss. He discussed the writing of this and other things, and uh, it was insane. Like they they wrote this in four weeks or something like that. It was ridiculously fast. I know they discussed it. Yeah, they, they had like a lot of conversations. So by the time they actually went to start writing, it was they had a fair idea. But it was a fast. This was a fast script to write. But with very few exceptions, it's an absolute masterclass in structure as well. It is. It is. I feel so. Yeah. But like from the big strokes to the tiny detail, like yeah. they do a great job of seeding stuff that's going to be important later on. There's nothing that feels important that then doesn't lead anywhere. There's no unwrapped threads. No. But he, mm-hmm. as I said, it's him recreating what he got no perfectly right in the first film. The first one was great, uh, and yeah. he just he decided to do it again. But well, there's a little bit of that Evil Dead Two kind of thing going, where they like retreading it but doing it differently. They've got different money, they've got different locations. It was mm-hmm. amazing though that that you you could take a character as iconic as the T800 and one up it with a T1000. Yeah. And it still holds up. The T one thousand, like it's, it's, it, it looks pretty, pretty cool. It's solid. Well, but the thing is, you've got to remember, Cameron's got a background as a special effects artist, mm-hmm. and he knows, okay. and a storyboard artist, so he knows a exactly what he can do, and b how to shoot it well, and and like oh look, they're redoing it. The glowing edges is absolutely <laughs> yeah. gorgeous. It still so looks is that, fucking great. Is that the is that the UV as well? Do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's I think that's UV. It might be helped in post a little bit, but okay. the fact that we're seeing it out of focus like that, you didn't get edge UV. Like you didn't get like depth on optical effects like that. Yeah, isn't it funny that it doesn't look dated? It well, looks so class. Yeah, and stand by for the tip of Robert Patrick's penis. <laughs> oh, wait there for it. Oh, yeah. There you go. Hello. <laughs> Hello, sailor. I didn't see it. <laughs> I, I looked very closely. You see Arnie's ball bag in number one, so. 
Yeah. That's a callback to the first film where you see uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, truncheon uh, slapping he's... slapping his toys. <laughs> his truncheon. He's got he's got a he's got a he's very well endowed. Let's so here's one of the anachronistic uh little flubs that they have, which is uh the original took place in nineteen eighty four. This is taking place mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty one. John Connor born nineteen eighty five, that would make him six years of age. No, Kevin, this is set ten years after this is set in nineteen ninety four. It was set in the future. Um yeah, it says it. It's it, it, well. If you, I read out a blurb. It said this is set ten years after the, for, the original. And there's um, Vasquez. Yes, 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 yes. You unrecognizable. She is, yeah. Um, he's uh, Buddy's mul- uh, the redhead mullet kid. I mean, it's going to come back into fashion someday. Uh, but the, the redhead and the mullet just—they just—they're—they're they're too. They're just can two I, things that don't work for me. Can I, can I just point out that the musical cue we just had there was Guns and Roses, which I feel is a deliberate foreshadowing of what's going to be happening in a couple of scenes' times. <laughs> oh, very good. Wow. He used Guns and Roses a lot. He had them in uh, True Lies as well. This but is that's, so, yeah. that's revisiting the hits. By the way, <laughs> this stepdad, like, we're already championing him getting fucking stabbed through the face, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Absolutely. he's a huge ballad. <laughs> She's not my nut mother, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that does throw me in this film is um, Edward Furlong's breaking voice in, the, in various scenes. Didn't they have to um, dub him because he it kept breaking so much? So they had to go back and pitch some of his uh, voice where he was prepubescent and sort of try and even it out. But yeah. I think it really works, though, that he is right at that cusp of um, shit going down while his balls are dropping. Yeah. Have you it's noticed just the that fact this, that uh... in some of the later scenes... Sorry. Go on, Dan. Oh, like, it, just talking about the hospital. I like the uh, the guy comforting yeah. the person in the corridor there as, like, an indicator that it's not so bad. But aside <laughs> from that one group of inmates going by, they've got, like, a one-to-one inmate-to-orderly ratio. <laughs> Like yeah, there's never you. you don't see anyone who isn't being led about by it's one. It's basically a prison. <laughs> one orderly, <laughs> and each orderly has a truncheon, which yeah. is kind of uh, uh, ominous. Yeah, <laughs> or a gun. Well, it's a psychiatric hospital, and if you yeah. can't beat a psychiatric patient in 1991, <laughs> oh god, this is the great America that people wanted to get back to. It was hitting mental patients. <laughs> what a transformation, though, from that sort of. Doughy uh, uh, um, girl on a scooter working uh, at a restaurant to this this hardened yeah badass yeah absolutely it makes sense it, it you does feel, you feel, what where commitment the film, first film left her off it's just like yeah this is where she would have ended up ten years later and um, yeah and it, she's the one who has the arc in this she's it's her arc in the story really isn't it absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's Cameron, though. He's taking these these women who have had the scales removed from their eyes and they have hardened themselves. And he just writes these badass underdogs who just... You, you can't help but just root for them. And every other action film that's come since then keeps referencing either Ripley or Sarah Connor and T2 as, like, yeah. benchmarks yeah. that we've got we've to get that... It would have been electrifying well, a lo- in the cinema, I'd say, watching this for the first time. There's a line in a minute where they're talking oh. to her about her like 
you know, her beliefs and, and whether or not she's still cuckoo crazy. Um, and they say, they're like, they're, they're talking to her about it and they're like, yeah, 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 the bunch of robots were sent back in time to kill you. How original. And I wondered if, like, the how original was a reference to how many, like, Terminator ripoffs there had been between <laughs> Terminator and Terminator 2. Like, when Terminator happened, it was original. But by the time mm-hmm. Terminator 2 happened, there were, like, a thousand, like, you know, American <laughs> canon Chopping films. Balls. Bruno Matai. Yeah, all these fucking movies just, like, going, oh, well, that was a blockbuster with a killer robot. Let's do that. <laughs> He's got a lot of hairspray in his hair. We just watched uh, Robert Patrick recently in another audio commentary, uh, Die Hard 2. And mm, he was nice. one, of the, one of the henchmen in that. Gets killed at the top of the escalator. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's so boyish looking here. That's the husband out of Candyman, right? The guy playing Todd? Oh, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of those people who had a... a, a he's had a really successful career as... The fourth third wheel yeah. bands. <laughs> the, the the fourth lead in a lot of uh, yeah. genre films comes in is a solid hitter, makes the movie I work, would, and doesn't. If you pull told focus. me that he was in the hand that rocks the cradle, I would one hundred percent believe you. <laughs> he is. Is he? Yeah. No one's going to fact check this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's if I know anything about the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people do not like to correct you when you're wrong. They do not like fact-checking. My God, I wish I had a bank card like this. I'm a big fan of uh, of this particular bit, uh, and I want a spin-off 80s show uh, that is like him presenting hacking tips. <laughs> John Connor, kid hacker. What did you think of the recent Terminator film? Was it... Genesis? What was the last oh, one? Oh, Dark Fate. Dark, Dark Fate. Fate. Where I found it interminable. Where they murdered John Connor at the beginning of it. Yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah, but it was this kid. It, it, that was another Alien 3 for me. You just bring him back and they blow him away at the start of the film. It was uh, on, it, no one can remember honestly, this. Kevin, no one can remember honestly, <laughs> I, I'm not lying. I, I watched that film in the cinema. <clears throat> Yet I know I fell asleep for at least fifteen minutes. Um, you know, well, look, I, young kids, and you know, um, but that film does not stay in my memory in any way, shape, or form. When you doesn't. said to me John Connor was was killed in the first first scene, I'm like going, really? I don't remember any of that. I don't remember anything. I don't remember Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff at all in that film. It was so, the best yeah. part of the film, the opening. Oh wow! Well, yeah, God. movies. I love them. Yeah, we can go. <laughs> just go. Even Terminator Three, I'm like mm, Terminator Three. Yeah, definitely. Termin- it's a bad film. Yeah, I did like yeah. Gordo. I thought she was cool. The um, the, the Rosamund Pike. Yeah, mm. the TX. I thought she was cool. She was just in a in a very um, plastic rehash of a movie. And yeah, I, it's I I I didn't care for the film. Yeah, and I didn't like that. Is she she's in Nanobots in that one? Is that it? Pretty much, she's like a, an amalgamation of the T eight hundred and T one thousand. So, so Linda Hamilton was vehemently yeah. opposed to this scene because she thought that it undercut her character and it made her, it, it reduced her back yeah. into um, somebody who could only draw her strength from a man that she didn't have. I one hundred percent agree. Didn't have it within mm-hmm. herself, and she just in my, disliked it. Yeah, in my notes, I've I've mentioned that this is one of the few scenes I really don't like. 
And I I wondered if they'd had a version of this where she was having this conversation with herself in a mirror because it's expository dialogue. Yeah. They want to like, remind like, the audience about the code, like all, all that stuff, the loss that she's experienced. And the reason, the only argument I can see for keeping him in this scene is that she follows him and it's uh, it leads to the first playground, like her interaction with the playground. Yeah. So we've had the playground once in the opening on fire. Then we're going to tie her to the playground with what comes in a second. And then later mm-hmm. on, we get that fucking awesome playground explosion. And you've got to remember that the original ending of the movie was back mm-hmm. in the playground. So this yep. was this was part of that like huge aesthetic cycle in the movie. I don't like James Cameron's extended editions. I don't like the extended no. edition of Aliens. And you I, don't yeah. wait. You don't. You don't like Future Frisbee and the worst old age makeup that's ever been committed <laughs> to film. <laughs> uh, but I do like the uh, scene that you picked out from um, oh. uh, the SFX moment, which is yeah should have stayed in the movie. It's so important. It really is so important to the to to what's happening to that character to the actual T eight hundred. So is that not in the regular version? No. No. No, no. God, it shows how many fucking times I've watched this movie that they've all just folded <laughs> into one. Because I don't have yeah. a, I, like. I remember being blown away by the film when I was young, but I don't remember specific moments. You know, probably the minigun. Definitely the minigun, because I had... I'll get to that later. I had some conversations about that in the schoolyard. What a great cut. But, yeah, fantastic. I don't like dream sequences in films unless David Lynch is doing them. But for some <laughs> reason, they really work in this film. He doesn't well, go for the gauzy. I mean, it's slightly soft, but it's not as stylized as some sort of dream sequences are. In, in it was other softer films. in the corridors yeah. than it is here. Yeah, it's just everything is in a little bit of slow mo. That's it. Mm. Like dreams. the The mm. bit where she's running down the last bit, where she's running down the corridor, felt a little bit Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I'm always naked in my dreams. <laughs> it's the same you're always naked in my dreams too Kevin what's going on <laughs> uh, <ba-dum-tsh. laughs> yeah <ba-dum-tsh. laughs> so yeah this is this is the bit where they say ah oh, so original mm. she's so great in this though oh she's fantastic Um, and I'm going to be I'm going to be um, a real, um, I suppose, cunt, shitty person. Yeah, a bit of a cunt. <laughs> <clears throat> and everyone talked about in Dark Fate how um, it's great to see her back. And I just don't oh, really no. rate her. I don't rate her uh, as an actress. I Wait, you don't rate her in this? I th- oh, No, this is her best thing, right? This is her best thing. But I haven't seen her in anything else where I, where I think she's Dante's Peak, man. Amazing. Including Dante's Peak. <laughs> Um, oh god um, Children of the Corn uh, she was great in the first Terminator I still think she doesn't have much range I'm so sorry I don't think she I don't I don't think she can do any I haven't seen her do a convincing character outside of Sarah Connor and I must um, say I can't think of a role where I can't I've loved her outside of Sarah Connor I'm thinking of King Kong Returns uh, nope um, Dante's Peak uh, uh I'll tell you now. She's done a bunch of sorry. Um, she actually hasn't done that many. She no. She's done. She was in Jonah Hex. Mister Destiny. She was in that. Oh, what is Mister Destiny? Yeah, it was a Jim Belushi movie from the the nineties. 
But yeah, she actually hasn't done any really notable films. She's been in a lot of films, but nothing that was very good. Um, but give her her laurels. She's fucking fantastic in this film. Yeah, she's great yeah. in this. She's given it. She's given it everything. And she I is. And I think. Yeah. I think. Uh, when you're an actor, you're only as good as the material you get. Yeah. And when yeah. you've got material this good, she knows what art she has as a character and what beats to hit. So it could just be done to that. She smashes Is she this. dating Cameron by this point? No. Was it after this? It was, it was, it, they were like married. It was, maybe it was, she was married yeah, during yeah. Titanic. Um, Cameron went through a lot of women. And leading ladies. For a well, man who looks like a, like a bridge troll. He really, <laughs> he, he really got his end away. But yeah. You mean for a millionaire that looked like a bridge troll? <laughs> for a talented artist millionaire? Uh, she was married to James Cameron from 97 to 99. They were married for two years. So 97 to 99. Wow. Imagine the arguments. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's come back a number of times. He's come back almost as much as Arnie. Because he's back as well in T3. You see in T3 as well? He is at the, at the uh, cemetery where John Connor gets all the guns from Sarah Connor's grave. And he's yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah. he's there. It doesn't make any sense really why he would keep popping up. but Because, you know, franchise. <laughs> franchise, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> James Cameron has been married five times. Well, you know, you only live once. <laughs> but you preen up four times. Yeah. <laughs> he had a training wife. He had a... <laughs> yeah. The wife 800, then the wife 1000. Is there, do, you, do we think that that inflatable dinosaur there is a reference to the fact that there's a strong possibility uh, that the effects team was splitting their attentions between this and Jurassic Park? I would say definitely. Uh, also, yeah. this sequence here is Look how so much fucking similar. Pepsi there is in this movie, sorry. But yeah. but this sequence is so similar to the, to the extended cut of Aliens where um, the two guys are walking around the, uh, the, the, the site in LV426 and it's like, mm-hmm. every time I ask, I get the same question, don't ask, that sort of back and forth. It's so similar. And I don't mind it when it looks... As interesting as this, I don't yeah. mind seeing the innards of um, is it um, what's the name of it? Is this Skynet? Isn't it? Yeah, Cyber Cyberdyne, Cyberdyne, yeah, Cyberdyne. Skynet's the computer system. Cyberdyne's the yeah. company. Also, great names for um, shit, fake shit. It's so hard to come up with that stuff. And Cyberdyne sounds sounds chunky. It sounds do you, real. Do you think that you're affording it that quality because it's such an integral part of your like? growth as a media consumer uh yes because there's a lot of movie titles which don't make any sense to me on retrospect but because i grew up with all the imagery and the iconography that goes along with it i think of course it's called um jaws but when you Mm. are thinking about a movie called jaws you're not going to think of a great white shark in the water it's sort of a it doesn't compute but no you can't separate the two yeah, I'm just thinking of like, they did a spin-off to that Bond villain in those in those movies? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I always thought we was would have Moonraker, had a jump first of all. Was, I don't know what the, the years are on that. Is Moonraker before Jaws? 
Uh, oh, no, Moonraker no, Moonraker's must be after. after. Moonraker's 80s, yeah. Moonraker was like late 70s, maybe late 70s, 1980. 80s, yeah. Was was the, the henchman Jaws from the books? Oh, good question. He was. <laughs> no one's going to fact check this. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you seen this, Dan? You've said multiple times, but... Oh, many, many times. I'd... Uh, I'd say when I was in my teens, I I probably saw it like be- between half a dozen and ten times uh, in the first couple of months that it was on rental. Oh wow! Because I'd keep watching it with people or making people rent it, or yeah. you know. Um, since then, I've seen it maybe another half a dozen times, maybe more. Uh, I still have, so I have the the Blu-ray of it that I rewatched this morning before we did this, <laughs> wow. um, which is a, an offensively bare bones Blu-ray. I actually tried to buy the 4K uh, ahead of this, and then just kept on getting distracted because it's not available on anything other than from HMV. It didn't look a very. Um, it didn't have that teal uh, look to it, did it? The, the Blu-ray. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just no. wanted to get the 4K, but uh, maybe I'm glad I didn't. But uh, but yeah, they've got like a th- two to three day delivery window, and I, yeah, eventually I just couldn't be fucked with it. Because um, so, the only version available is their like limited tin. Think of all the things that we've just seen happen from the moment where he said, "She's not my real mom, Todd," and he drove off, and we've now picked up with him still driving the motorcycle. But all the scenes that we've seen that happened between that ride, so he basically so, drove about a hundred miles. A, <laughs> California's massive. It is. Mm-hmm. B, there's nothing to say that they're completely linear in, a, in their structure. It's a thing, though, when I'm st- structuring scenes and scripts where it, it feels right to have somebody say something punchy and get into a lift and the doors close and you cut to the next scene and something happens and you cut back to the lift opening and you pick up with those characters again. But I, it always grates on me when I see it in movies the only- where... The only version of that that really angers me is when you don't have anything in between and it's like the conversation has continued across two locations and it's like, were they just walking in silence for 20 minutes? Yeah. Like, we've we've moved to, like, out of the building and down to the street, but the, the conversation is, like, seamless. It's when so somebody says, what, um, were they- I've got something you ought to see and they don't say another thing. They drive in complete silence until they get to the location and then the person says, so what's this thing you want to show me? Yeah. It's yeah. like... Well, no, but the, the so what's the thing you want to show me is callback to the conversation that we last saw them have. Yeah, because but they've been chatting about other shit <laughs> between now and then. Drop They're like, everything. Oh, and they, how's your lumbago? <laughs> I remember this arcade. He's in this Afterburner arcade, and I remember being in that particular one, and it was class. Don't I you loved all? It. Oh no, we're probably Ballybunion <laughs> or Galway or something like that. Ballybunion. Oh my god, that mm. takes me back. I love the way he just fucked that kid onto the floor, and that's the yeah. end of him. He's yeah. gone. <laughs> you know the girls that they were talking to outside. Dan, we're getting to the bit where I want you to chat about the girls they were. Ta- he was T One Tells was talking to before he went into the thing. Uh, one of those girls ended up being a huge TV star. She had like a own oh, really? sitcom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. As a spin-off. another Pepsi can. No, no, like she was an actual <laughs> Lisa Pepsi so machine. No. Okay, so Lisa. before we get too far into it, let's talk yeah. about what's coming up. Uh, yes. With the, the 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 soft metal bullet hits on the body, yes. Because 
I, you have obviously just watched, and I am very familiar with the behind-the-scenes footage of uh, from the Stan Winston studio of them testing these bullets. This guy also has a Pepsi can in his hand. There's fucking Pepsi all over this movie. Pepsi, yep. Pepsi. Um, Get down. But like, actually, so how does it work? You, so I always thought that almost, was I always thought that was CG. So, so for the vast majority of them, that's just a foam, a chromed foam latex piece that he's wearing on his body. Okay. Now, Stan Winston Studios did develop a really lovely system that had like five or six spring-loaded petals that would spring yeah. open on the pull of a cable and reveal one of those com- like very soft, compressed foam roses. Um, yeah. But actually, when you watch the scene, you see none of them open in this no, sequence. No, just oh, I was like yeah, on yeah. camera. You yeah. see none of them fucking open. There's only one time in the film, and then you see the that slightly ropey CGI. Fake. Yeah, but it's and because the, actu- the CGI in this only really falls down when it has to manipulate tangible matte objects that exist in the world. The right. the chrome stuff is very good and holds up because it feels commensurate. It feels like you're being shown an aesthetic that is consistent and, good and word works. Choice. The only time it ever falls down is when you have to see them morph like skin or, or, or navy canvas or whatever. I love that gag where yeah. he looks yeah. at the shiny, yeah. shiny mannequin. It's fucking great. But yeah, so like, uh, you know, the life of the special effects artists, they built That's all those beautiful things. There he is. The, the Bill Wisher with camera. <laughs> is it Bill Wisher or Will Wisher? Uh, it was Bill. He was Bill, I think, in, this, in the podcast anyway when they were talking to him. I always thought it was Will Wisher. But sorry, Dan. Go on. That's all right. Yeah, they built all these beautiful like rigs that you've seen the tests of, and then you actually only see them operate on camera wow. once in the Metalworks factory at the end. For those of you who are listening along to us, uh, go on YouTube and look at the test, uh, the Stan Winston test um, uh, footage of them putting these uh, these bullet impacts on the T one thousand. It's unreal. It's unreal. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, wow. And Will, I, d- I don't know if you've seen them, but the on the same YouTube channel they have uh, tests of the full bifurcated body puppet, the split head <gasps> puppet. All oh, of that stuff that. is all on that, all on the same YouTube channel. It's beautiful. Oh wow! So when we were talking about chase scenes way back in episode three, I said that there were two types of chase scenes: there's the pursuit and there's the getaway. But there's a third one which I love, which is the rescue. And this mm. is a great rescue moment, where Arnie is going to get around the T1000 and save John Connor from being killed. And I love it. I think it's such a fucking. I love that. Pro- there's a. I meant to look up who did it, scene. and I. I haven't, I haven't done it, so I apologise that I can't tell you. But there's a really fucking great uh, dissection of this particular chase on YouTube, uh, and specifically oh, comparing it to the way action is photographed in Marvel movies at the moment, and mm. how they're like they often leave you feeling a bit like wanting. That did not look yeah. like um, uh, Edward Furlong on that bike there, as he was like, but "Who cares?" No. But who cares? I care. The thing but about they, is, I prefer, I prefer a stuntman than a CG effect. Yes. I prefer seeing oh, a stuntman yeah. do it for real. That new well, Spider-Man but a stuntman versus trailer. CG effect and a uh, and a uh, and a practical effect versus a CG effect have the same dichotomy, which is that. Even if a practical effect only works like ninety percent, it's still a tangible object that's there yeah. in the space. Yeah, so you still like it's still real. Even if it's not yeah. the thing that it's pretending to be, it's still actually a real thing. Rather than suddenly having a slightly bad cartoon over the top. Yeah. How fucking imposing this like dual-esque aggressor it's is amazing. in this moment. It's so big. All of these massive close-ups on it. It's always spilling out of the screen. You never get to see the whole fucking cab. 
like we're getting closer and closer to Patrick in it, and it's like it's even there where it's like it's so tight that as the camera moves with it, it's having to clip out of the frame. And it's also doing the job of putting of setting the T eight hundred as the inferior model. Yeah, the, you know, it, the, it, he's on the motorcycle, the more vulnerable motorcycle. The T one thousand is in this. Okay, articulated, whatever it is. This is something that people have forgotten these days because we've gotten so used to superhero movies. Is that you want your hero to be uh, the underdog against the yeah, villain? Yeah, absolutely. When you when you don't have that, you just feel like you're just going through mm-hmm. the motions, and it's just well, it's the kryptonite well, problem. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's having having a character like the the thing is. I think that actually video games have have played a disservice to action cinema because video games nowadays all feel they have to show you what you're going to unlock. So you often have this thing at the beginning where they're like, "Here's the fucking machine gun. Here's the special powers. <laughs> yeah. Here's all this stuff," and then it gets taken away from you. And then you have to unlock it again as the game progresses because it shows you what your target is. It shows you what you're working towards because it's such a, a much longer framework of narrative in video games. I had never thought of that. Whereas in movies, it's fine to have a guy get beaten to fuck and then come back like a phoenix rise from the ashes. It's better than to have someone feel infallible from the beginning and have it be like a given that they're going to win. This is great. Like, Look how close exactly. Furlong yeah. comes to dying. Oh, I love everything about this. And and the whole thing is that you, a hero doesn't demonstrate courage unless they should be and they are afraid of something. Yeah. You've got to you've got to it was like when we were talking about Mission Impossible Fallout and Tom Cruise was infallible and he was just kicking the living shit out of Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill kept getting injured and continuing to fight Cruise. It's like no it should be the opposite way around. It should be Cruise should be getting absolutely beaten to shit mm-hmm. and Henry Cavill is just I love that rear projection. I didn't even notice oh, it was a reprojection. This is my childhood on screen right here. This just takes me back to so many memories. So good. Here we go. Everything about this is just incredible. Like, just such great stunt work as well. And there's, this is like this is the moment where, as someone watching this film for the first time, you're fucking blown away. Because they've done a lot of fucking bait and switch with the fact that he can shapeshift. They've, like you've seen the metal go on the body but that doesn't tell you everything they didn't show you him morphing into the police officer at the beginning he just bends mm-hmm. down next to a guy in a police costume and then you see him and he's in a police costume so you don't know that he can shapeshift so all of this is being held back from you and they're like oh yeah no one's fucking walking away from that Arnie doesn't even fire his gun into the fire like we're all so <laughs> confident that everything like he's fucking done he's if toast you don't see we're the fine body. like it's all wait what the fuck and here comes this like crow maniac stepping out of the fire it's just fucking gorgeous on every one of those movie magic shows in, in the early 90s they would use this shot oh yeah <laughs> yeah because That's it, why was, it was unbelievably I... badass yeah and I, I saw all of those shows before I actually watched this film. So everything, all of the effects and all of the big set pieces were already spoiled for me when I went to watch the film. But it didn't matter because the film itself was so uh, entrancing and kind of swept me away on this adventure and so rip-roaring that it didn't matter that I'd seen it, you know, dozens of times on TV already. It's just a fucking cracking film. So good. And there were so many close-ups of stunt people one that you can clearly see your stunt people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's absolutely fine. So we're 39 minutes in. Look at all that's happened. 
Oh, this film is fucking jam-packed. This has mm-hmm. so many iconic moments in it, and particularly the first half is absolutely chock-a-block. Like, the first half is un- unrelenting. Then you've got a slightly slow second half of the, of the second half, first half of the second half, and then it picks up again. <laughs> After the mid-act climax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that difficult second act. <laughs> I just loved all this. I just love him being able to prod him and him, like, you know, poking at him and seeing that. It's just, there's something, again, this moment's to slow down for one character, for a character. The avatar for me as a kid was Edward Furlong and John Connor and him being able to kind of, like, like go around this Terminator and see. And this is the monster from the first film. Yeah, it's the monster from the first film. And he's a pet. He is. How cool is that? Schwarzenegger always gave his best performances for me when he worked with Cameron. Where you think he's no, he's he's actually good in these movies. I know he's playing a machine mm-hmm. and what have you, but he worked hard. Schwarzenegger works hard. He knows he he knows his limitations and he try. He's he's developed from when he when he first started out as in 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 cinema. He was atrocious. If you look at him in like Hercules in New York or whatever that was, like well he could barely speak English at that stage, I suppose. But um, he worked on the craft. He really did work so hard. Oh, what was the end? You know what? Uh, it's a long goodbye where he's, um, he looks at the camera. <laughs> he's a henchman and he takes his shirt off and he looks at the camera as he takes his shirt off. And you think, yeah, he's still learning his uh, trade. So, yeah, a little bit of exposition from Arnie, which slightly undercuts that he didn't expect it. Like he saw the he saw the metal splashes on the body, so he like given that he's saying, "Oh, he's a a mimetic poly alloy. He's an advanced prototype, the T one thousand, blah blah." Like if he knows this, and he saw the guy get shot with a shotgun in a like the back hallways of a mall, he should yeah. have known that he'd walk away from that explosion. But you know, whatever. And maybe he didn't. But hold know, on. He just didn't uh, he didn't Dan- express it because he doesn't have emotion. But also, maybe maybe the T-1000 at this stage is... I'm sorry, that Schwarzenegger Terminator is going, right, I've, I have a window to escape the T-1000. <clears throat> maybe he knows it's a futile battle, so he's just trying to put as much distance between him and the T-1000. Yeah, I mean, that, that would actually explain a lot of the behaviour in the second half of the film as well. Here we go, this is so cool. This is, like, it's, talking earlier about how jam-packed this film is, like, this is such a fucking awesome scene, and we've yeah. literally just come out of another amazing scene. And it's a callback to the first film where she called her mother, and the mother was oh, dead. yeah. Yeah, the yeah. dog's barking. Only dogs know their shape. Yeah. And, like, again, he does it, he wants to get rid of the dog. Immediately, the entire audience wants him to die. Here you go. Yeah, what's your dog's There's a lot name? of justification of death in this movie. For the longest time, I thought the dog was called Woofy rather than Wolfie. <laughs> oh, is like, it you Wolfie? Know, it's called it's called Max, but he says Wolfie. Yeah, but uh, I but I thought he was saying, "What's wrong with Woofy?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, T eight hundred. That's the shittest name you could have come up with for a dog. <laughs> Even the T one thousand should have known that that was made up." Whoopie, your foster parents are dead. Boom. 
just like that. Go. This is so cool. The reveal of uh, Vasquez's. Is this the That's first so shot cool. of her or his ability to make these sword arms? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because then we get a little chat in a minute because on the bike in a second, he's all like, can he be a gun? Can he be a bomb? And then yeah. he's like, no, he can't be anything chemical. He can't be anything mechanical. He can only do knives. But this is the thing about, you're talking about that it has the exact same structure. It doesn't matter that it has the exact same structure. No, it's, it's doing works. something so totally new. Yeah. Like, you know, they're bringing this new, this new villain who is... So cool, and also we're ge- the the bad guy from the first movie is is a pet of the is is a pet of our well, hero. There's only like and, seven uh, stories, so if you nail it, then yeah. you nail it. Just yeah. do it again. Yeah, that's why I love the Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking. You, you, your voice came into my head today because I was listening to I listen to random soundtracks when I'm writing, and uh, I uh, will will just kind of quickly check on Spotify to hear what I'm listening. And I came to this really bland superhero type score, and it was uh, Avengers Endgame. And I went, Ah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this sounds just so bland. I uh, I watched uh, Thingy. What's it in the Ten Rings the other day? Shang Chi, oh, and was, Shang Chi, yeah, Shang Chi, and it was like a fucking shopping list of films I'd rather have been watching. Yeah, <laughs> like right. there was there was nothing in it that I hadn't seen done like fifty times better, a hundred times before. <laughs> well, I think I think it's there. I think this new phase isn't working out for him, and uh, I, I I think it'll fade out I never um, oh yeah so in the previous scene the T-1000 went out and killed the dog took the collar off and saw that his name was actually Max so T-1000 knows that that um, John Connor knows or the T-800 know he doesn't he doesn't know about the T-800 he doesn't know the T-800's with oh no he does know the T-800's with him because when he first turned up at the house he was like a big guy on a bike came to ask about him. Anything to do with him? And he's like, nah, don't worry about him. It's unrelated. The police presence is unrelated. This is a great scene for her, though, to realise that her son is out there and the, the the thing that almost killed her and killed her partner is now going to be going after her son. Yeah. And she can't react. I, I love her escape from this prison. I fucking love it. I could have How done she- without it involving a face licking because I feel <laughs> that that's unnecessary and gross. Extended edition again. Yeah. Is this? Yeah. Ah. But then, like, later on, when we meet Dyson, his wife licks him on the face, and I just wonder if James Cameron thinks there's a lot more licking going on out oh in the my- rest of the world. I actually... I don't remember that. I... I love the way Schwarzenegger is. I just love the way he's he's just just constantly in constantly in sentry mode, where it's just scanning scanning the horizon all the time. That's how I am when I record the podcast. Just <laughs> just making sure checking all the exits, making sure uh, there's no I'm no in aggressive egress. Hunter killer mode. I think this this film really. You know, this is the peak of Schwarzenegger, isn't it? It was kind of, it slowly went downhill after this, just very gradually. True Lies um, was his last was... great film for me. After that, it was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. True Lies was there. But I still think this is the peak. Junior I still think. 
True Lies, I'd say True Lies is probably the best balancing of his different abilities. He's, he, like it he's doesn't, a great performer. It does everything that. he can do, and it doesn't overreach in any direction. No. This doesn't... Like, he can do comedy, but a, a bit... And True Lies absolutely maxes out that ability. He doesn't yeah. test that in this. Like no, he's in great this, in he's Lies. fucking great, but he's mm. but he's limited by the role in a good way. Like not 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 to the detriment of the narrative. But I think he is he does this bit better in this. But in True Lies, he shows the greatest range successfully. But he's, he's so good shown. in this that by the end of it, you're choked the fuck up when he's killing himself. Yeah. I was uh, I I did write that uh, like I think I wrote it's a testament to dot 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 like twenty times in my notes, but at the <laughs> end when when you have the little thumbs up bit at the end, oh, it's, it's like so good in any other fucking film that would be so goofy. Yeah. Oh, but uh, like imagine if they did that at the end of uh, of Short Circuit, you'd be like, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> but but take take a step back and just think, Terminator, the character in Terminator who who was like terrifying. And you think they're going to do a sequel to the to Terminator, and at the end of it, the Terminator is going to give a thumbs up, and you're going to be gutted. Mm. <laughs> and I think, wow, that is that's great storytelling. Did you call moi a dipshit? It's my it's, least favorite line in the whole film, and I hate oh, Edward Furlong. And I now love I'm it. For I the love it. I like it. <laughs> you call moi a dipshit, <laughs> and would also this is this is a really good lesson for Edward Furlong, right? This right here is an important scene. Because it's like it's what he's what you say and do and command has consequences. I don't believe so he, that Edward Furlong could push the Terminator's hand out of the the way of shooting that guy in the head while he was taking him. It's part of his programming, Kevin, to oh, be okay. like shit okay. and weak whenever Eddie touches him. <laughs> whenever good old Mini JC, I love lays that. hands. I wish I could quit you. I love that <laughs> Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's fee for this film was a jumbo jet, and. It wasn't like an ostentatious. Oh, but listen to his business sense. A jumbo jet. It was a jumbo jet, right? But it wasn't like a jumbo jet in the sense that John Travolta wants a jumbo jet to park in his driveway. He bought, his fee was a jumbo jet, not to have it for personal use, but to hire it out, lease it out to airlines as commercial as a commercial airliner so he was he is and probably still is to this day making money off that jumbo jet as it's flying you may have flown an Arnold Schwarzenegger's jumbo jet for all you knew and uh, he was he's such he's such a savvy businessman always was such a savvy businessman I don't know if you've read his book Dan but it is genuinely I have not it's uh, it's genuinely great and I just came away from it thinking I adore this man I love him yeah I think he's called Total Recall and it's well worth it and it's not at all self-aggrandizing he's become you know he was a Republican what was he governor he was a governor governor he's a Republican governor but he's become increasingly left-wing as he's gotten older which is you know the opposite of how most people's political trajectory goes um, and but, then obviously when you think back to, you know, his father's involvement in stuff and mm-hmm. like, it's a, he's, he's got a very interesting political life but his with the politics he was exposed life, to as a child and his, his own personal politics as he's been an adult. His political, his original political leanings. And was, there we have licking, sorry. Yeah, uh, it was a reaction to growing up under the, the, the dark shadow of the Nazis. So of course. it was a reaction to that. But um, his book is great for anyone listening that does want a, a stocking filler, even though Christmas has passed yeah. at this point. Um, it's great. It's really genuinely mm-hmm. great. And you, it, it's not big headed or anything. It just, 
He just sounds like a very um, humble, which is strange to think of, man who tried really hard and yeah. knew what his strengths were and capitalized on that. And 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 uh, yeah, I think that's it. He went into three uh, completely different f- professions and became, I would say, he became the best that he could be in those professions: bodybuilding, um, acting. And every time he was started off, it, like even when he started off as bodybuilding, he was he people were laughing at him, thinking he was kind of weak and whatnot. And he went and he became the, the greatest bodybuilder ever was acting, and then finally um, as a as a politician. And people were sneering at him as an as a politician. But in actual fact, when you listen to the book or read the book, you realize that oh god, he 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 was pretty good. He actually did some yeah. pretty progressive things. Yeah, as far as Republican governors go, he's probably the absolute gold standard. <laughs> Yeah, he really, really was. Yeah, like he's and because he was quite left wing by the end. Yeah, he was. That's, yeah, that's yeah. how I that's how I grade the quality of right wingers. How left wing they are. He was married into the into the uh, John F. Kennedy family. So yeah, was that the wife that he cheated on with the maid? Yes, mm-hmm. Maria Schwa- Yeah, and Maria if Schwa- you look at his Instagram, he constantly has pictures of that boy. Uh, mm-hmm. He's always photographing himself with the kid, and and he's so proud of him. And it's just um. Yeah. Is he acting now? Is he acting no, now? No, that's his his older son with Patrick. Maria Shriver, yeah, Patrick Sh- oh, yeah. Schwartzig, who worked with, did he work with, oh, he didn't work with Brandon Cronenberg. Who did he work with? He worked with somebody recently. Anyway, I'm not your so, IMDB, you look it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so I'd recommend, um, so I, this is the beginning of Linda Hamilton's um, escape attempt, and I love it. I love the business of this, the cleverness of her figuring out what she's going to do. She's just using the tools that she had, and all she had to begin with was a paperclip. And she bloody well almost makes it out. So she would have made it out. This guy, you might remember him from Gremlins 2, the new batch. Or from Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, for good. Oh, They're twins. Wow. They used to pop up all the time and all the, yeah, the crappy... Yeah, they're the twins, the Hollywood twins. The crappy uh, um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and, and, and uh, Dan and Don something or other. And you know what? I don't think they're very good actors. Mm. No, but they're twins. They're twins. Like his reaction Linda Hamilton's here. sister would have had a lot more work if they'd been identical. <laughs> Are they not identical? No, they're just sisters, I think. Oh. It just blew my mind. When I saw when you see him emerging from the floor, it's just oh. like, holy it's, shit, honestly, what can this thing do? And with the black and white check as well, it's such a basic texture, but they've done such a fucking beautiful job with it. It's like the overarching thing with this, and it's it's a sort of uh, a repositioning of something I say a lot in effects look at the conversations. Acting. Fuck, it's so bad. Is, is work out, look at this fucking hokey head coming up. I love it. That's terrible. Uh-huh. And I still love it. The eyes are way too white. Um, but like the the thing is, work out how to do an effect, like work out how to do the scene without any effects and then make your life difficult with problems you know how to solve. And wow. that's how you put together a great special effects scene. And because Cameron had a background in special effects, because he knew how to shoot all this stuff, because he'd done storyboard work, he could be like, okay, so this is how we do it without any special effects. But then also, I know how to do this. I, we could use a puppet here. And so it's a shot-by-shot approach rather than an overall scenic approach. And that's okay. fucking great. Dan, because it means... I want to yeah. ask you then. You get yeah, a yeah, scene yeah. in a... in a. You've read so many scripts. Some you've considered yeah. doing, some you've not chosen to do something you couldn't do 
But at some point, I suppose you have to go about thinking how you can execute what they're asking you to do. Yeah. Where, what is the steps from you taking words on a page into uh, an application or uh, an effect sequence that can be done in a limited time with a lot of people looking at you under great pressure and, and, so the 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 first thing to remember is that while there will always be time and pressure on a film production, uh, that's not the thing you need to worry about when you're designing something. Um, when you get a scene that's obviously going to be special effects heavy, um, the very very first thing to do is to talk to the director and ask them if they have any visual reference or if they know how they want to shoot it, if they have any storyboards, if they've got a shot list already, anything like that. Because like shot lists. And storyboards are the absolute, like, then my job's super easy because they go, okay, we want a close-up of this, we want a wide here, and we cut into Do they this, stick to those And stuff? you know exactly what you're going to make. Well, so with... And this is why the practical digital thing became such a contrarian issue in the late 90s, early 1000s, is because when you are doing practical effects, by and large, you kind of do have to stick to it. But with CGI, you can change your mind like a thousand times up until a week before the premiere and just work a small company into the ground and they're bankrupt and who fucking cares and here's the new <laughs> Avengers. Here's so, the like, exactly. So it's really it's really difficult. Uh, like, producers, actors and directors like practical effects because they can see them on camera, they can see them on set, they know what they're getting... Uh, and they can reposition a frame if it's not working. They can, like, you know, there's there's a tangibility to it. Producers, and this is all massive generalization, obviously. Yeah. Producers like digital effects because they can change their mind up until the eleventh hour. And who doesn't like that? Not having to commit to anything. Mm. Producers, it turns out. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. So when you're when you're presented a, a scene, you talk to the director about what they want to see, what tone they're going for like is the violence comedic is it aggressive are we pulling back do you have an r-rated contractual obligation do you have a pg-13 contractual obligation like all these things play into it like there's no point me going to a director oh and then it'd be really fucking great if we did a hidden edit and we smash his head across the floor and it busts open like like a watermelon (laughs) and for them to be like yeah but we have to deliver a pg-13 so why would we do that i've got some follow-up questions for you and one of them is, have you ever yeah. been disappointed with how they've shot an effect sequence? You know, this is you've done so many films, even go back to shorts, but just, is yeah. there anything where you felt, you don't have to, to, to specify, where you thought, hmm. No, no, no. Like, of course, because there's always, like, you know, the, the, what's the, the conflict that's present there is that the best way to shoot the effect is not always the best way to tell the story. Huh, what and do you mean by that? What you have to come to realise as an effects artist working is that because you're a collaborator, because you're serving this greater good that is the narrative, you have to let that go. You have to be willing to understand that actually the most important thing is not that your effect looks the very fucking best it could, because you've shot that. It's like those bullet hits. Exactly. We were talking about this earlier with the bullet hits. They look so fucking great in those Stan Winston tests things but then in the edit they decided that for whatever reason that that was how they were going to do it and you just have to trust that that's the way it's going to go you know and so yeah like i'll be like oh i wish they'd stayed an extra 30 seconds longer on that or 30 fucking seconds (laughs) on an effect we're we're still watching sarah connor break out of the the um sanatorium at the moment and with a santa flush syringe yeah but um What's been your worst day on set? Or what is the worst that you've witnessed on set? 
Again, you can talk in generalizations. So, like, yeah, generalization. The, my least favorite thing on set is being called for a pre-call. So you're there for like three hours, and then you you you, you put a makeup on absolutely first thing, and then for one reason or another, they're like, "Oh no, we're not going to get to it until the end of the day now." So just wait. And then you've got an actor who's fidgeting and moving and eating and oh. all this fucking stuff with a makeup on, and every second it's degrading and it doesn't look quite as good as it did at the top of the day. Oh, and then by the time God. they come to film it, they're like, we've got 30 seconds to shoot this amazing effect that you've spent months preparing. And so, yeah, we obviously had that's a, a little disheartening. We had Bronna Gallagher, um, a great character actress in Grabbers, and uh, she had one of my favourite sequences in the script. And she was called to set, and uh, it's we're shooting nights, and of course I'm a writer, so I'm just drifting around between different departments and just like making small talk and like watching a sexy what's ghost. going on when it's happening, like a sexy ghost. <laughs> and um, Brona was sitting there for the entire night waiting to be called, and they cut her sequence. Oh god, yeah. And and I and she never let on that it bothered her in any way. She was making small talk. She's flicking through a magazine and what have you. And I just thought, is this the way it is? That sometimes, sometimes you can that's just the way it is. Yeah. They're on standby. Now, for, now imagine that, that a... actors in a creature suit or like foot prosthetics oh. that mean they can't walk about, or like a facial appliance that means they've lost the sight in one eye and they can't drink other than through a straw. Jesus. Like Yeah. And that's the that's the added bullshit of effects, is that <laughs> you've got to deal with that. And you know and film is an organic process that's just gonna happen you know you can't avoid it completely all you can do is plan by the way sorry just to go back to that shot we just saw yeah, that ahead. fucking shot where she realizes Arnie's coming out the lift she panics and she like pegs it around the corner mm-hmm. she ha- like she passes the corner just as Edward Furlong comes out of the elevator and it's such a beautiful moment mm-hmm. of dramatic irony because we by this point are fully invested in Arnie being a good guy but we also know her and completely believe her fear. Mm-hmm. It's so solid. Absolutely. Yeah, this is her worst also, nightmares. That's Come so back. fucking good. Those those like aluminium uh, wires behind the that, that guy who just got clonked against the wall has a very strong matte stone energy. I love I like the it. the sound she makes when she slides along the floor. Yeah. Squeak. But when she gets rugby tackled, that looked like Linda Hamilton took that it hit is. herself. Yeah, it looked pretty severe. Yeah, possibly. And you know what? The stunt guys, you know, hopefully they teach her how to fall as well. I don't know if I said this to you, Will. You can probably say I've heard this story before. But again, when I was on the set of Grabbers, I was talking to the stunt guys because we were shooting lots and lots of like small stunt scenes where people are getting whipped on wires and pulled in different directions and jumping across things. And I said to to one of the stunt guys, "Um, how do you do it where you don't get hurt? And they laughed. They all looked at each other and chuckled. And they said, we do get hurt. That's what we get paid for, is to get hurt. Yeah. And I thought, really? And he said, and the the main stunt guy goes, show him your chest. So this guy lifted up his shirt. He was ripped, absolutely ripped. He didn't look at it. And I thought, wow, okay, so these are athletes. And his entire chest was blackened with a bruise. Yes. Even though he was padded right up, he had on a, a thick padding, but he that's, has to leap across that's so fucking and good. land. Sorry. Yeah. Everything about that, this. Oh. It is. But, so that again, like it's so like there you get a little bit more of it, but it's so like so brief considering all they've done. And then that's less good because it's manipulating practical makeup effects. 
You, but like I love he's his scary, he's a scary villain. And you yeah. know what's good about this? What's amazing about this is that everything the T one thousand can do is is something that's believable within the context of the film. That it's just like yeah. you, you as an audience are not going. Well, why didn't he just? Why didn't he just become the floor? Like it's all they're they're thinking the idea. They're thinking through the ability of the T one thousand. There's a there's uh, a there's a couple of bits where it's like, well, why didn't he? Like at the beginning when he just punches that cop. Before he before he takes the clothes, yeah. and it's, it's like you've got swords for hands, mate. Why yeah. are you just punching people? <laughs> yeah. But I understand. Maybe he didn't want blood. To... Uh, no, sure, he can just morph into it. He just morphs no, into he's whatever morphing he wants. into yeah, the yeah, clothes. Yeah. He doesn't I'm give a fuck about. I the like. Clothes. Yeah, I like the way that Cameron spoke with the different characters. So when you when you're trying to give direction to an actor, and he tells to, uh, Schwarzenegger, "You're a tank," and then he tells Robert Patrick, "You're a Porsche." It's like, oh, you totally get. And there's a uh, the the. The two different sort of uh, tones of those characters. There's a there's an old there's a, an amazing noir called Gun Crazy, and apparently that that was like from the forties. And apparently the directors like this is how your character feels all the time uh, to both the male and female lead was just like you just want to get this shit over with so you can fuck. <laughs> That's a great fucking direction. Like, isn't that though? an amazing yeah. bit of direction? Like they're just like, God, God, fucking stop with the shit so we can bone. That is great. That is clever, clever direction. He is a really good runner, Robert Patrick. This is the only a man can run as fast as a car sequence that hasn't looked dumb to my memory in cinematic That's history. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Because although uh, uh, to to give them some credit, I did think uh, in the I can't remember what Captain America movie it was where they first introduced Black Panther, and he was sprinting Civil after all War. the cars. It was close. That looked that but, looked good. So I think what they're doing here, the the wide shots are quite sparing, and then when you do see him, uh, they're shooting on very long lenses. So the background and the foreground appear to be moving at an accelerated rate in comparison to how it would normally look if you were shooting on like a 35 or a, or a 30 mil lens, like up in Robert Patrick's face, they've pulled everything back, they go up to like a 60, and then <laughs> and everything's moved there yeah, again. Like, but like all the way through this, there's little shots that if handled differently or held on for longer or whatever, would look fucking dumb and goofy, like the, the body on the back of the car. But actually, it, it works really well. I have a Foley complaint here, which is when he falls off the back of the car, yeah. only the metal-coloured bits of his body clank. Oh. They also sound hollow to me. But he's meant... Oh, God, I watched a film the other day where someone was handling wedding rings and they sounded like brass curtain rings. It was so cheap. <laughs> but, like, there, like, he's rolling about on the floor and his arms are like clank, 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 clank. Yeah. And it's like, well, if he's all metal, why aren't his feet clanking? Yeah, that's true. Like, oh, that's why isn't all of him clanking? Why is it just the bits that look like crow? This bit, he throws that away and go. it goes tink, clank, tink, clank, 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 clank. No, it's it's too. It sounds like it's hollow. It sounds like tin. I do it's, like. It sounds stuff. like a mimetic polyalloy. Is what it sounds like. Dan, can I ask you about the the? Can I ask you about the original Terminator? There's one effect shot that I remember, vaguely remember seeing and I, in the making of, and it's a shot where the T8 Arnold Schwarzenegger's T800 punches through the window, and um, but like 
we, you know, when you, when you watch the film, it's a very quick shot of him punching through the window. But my God, the the effort that was put in to actually create that shot, to to have a background that was moving, uh, you know, in kind of like not rear not rear projection, but it wasn't like a they had a car moving. It it basically yeah, yeah, yeah. it was mad. A choreographed background. Oh, it was a choreograph. It was just insane, and that his fist was a you know a a hydraulic kind of like um artificial arm that just went that was thrust through the window and seeing it come together on the in a in a making of it was just it blew my mind again um just amazing practice and i don't know what i was going to ask you there but it was which, uh, it was so yeah it was basically about the background that the background they had the background moving at a certain speed and um well, like nowadays it, and and to the detriment i think of modern projects nowadays they'd shoot the background as a separate element okay and they just time it up afterwards i did a i did a tv series recently that's not come out yet that has an unbelievably complicated sequence in it where someone inside a car is shot and we had to shoot the person inside the car the window breaking because they're shot through a closed window the person firing the gun and the background behind the person and then environmental rain for the entire exterior all as separate plates oh god and then also and then also it's slow-mo, and then also it's a complicated camera move through a car that only exists like 80% in the physical world. Oh my god, how, how I don't even know how to begin. How, how does so that we work? Did, did you so do it? It, was a compu- it was a timed crane yeah. uh, working on motion control that would move through a car where all of the vertical uprights that the, that the camera arm would have to pass through were then digitally filled back in. Jesus. And it would do the same movement for every shot. So it did a it did an empty movement with no one there, which was filmed for background and for rain generation. Mm-hmm. And then we shot the guy outside firing the gun uh, against an empty window. And then we shot the window breaking. And then we shot the uh, and we shot the guy in the car getting hit with the bullet. Wow! And every time any pyros were linked to the the motion control system so the ca- same computer that was operating the camera arm yeah. was was automatically firing the pyrotechnics wow. for the gun firing for the window breaking and for the for the guy being hit it, and they were all slapped together digitally it sounds like the same process that was used to do the like you know the space battles in the star wars films you know that there was a, a computerized arm that was that uh, was filming all of that the was, separate yeah, that elements. Was, that was one of the first examples of motion control. That was very okay. very early motion control. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's the same principle. It basically means that a computer knows where the camera is for every frame of a sequence okay. and can replicate it a hundred times so that you can shoot different elements at different passes. Wow. And when it gets really complicated, you then transfer that into to different scales for shooting miniatures or for like digital composites or you know whatever it's amazing it's amazing is this sequence cut from the actual theatrical cut? i don't think so i think we still oh wait no this isn't where he did this isn't where they removed the chip they don't yeah. they, they don't change is, they, they it don't is. Dis- yeah it is oh is this the scene yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. They just, yeah. It just goes on into that. I do think that this was cut from the theatrical cut, but I think they put it in, not for the director's cut, but they actually put it in quite soon after, like, you know, as in for maybe for the video release or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Oh, yeah, this is definitely the same. This is I'd just amazing. like to point out that a pneumatic, a, a pneumatic ratchet driver with a flathead in it is a fucking disaster waiting to happen. 
And why that exists in this world is anathema to me. This thing that she's like using. She's got a flathead, yeah, a flathead <laughs> pneumatic driver. Yeah. So here, Dan, talk us through the scene. Talk us through the scene. Okay, so look, here you go. Real, real Sarah Connor in the, real Linda Hamilton in the foreground, sister in the background, she's been clipped out now. Puppet Arnie in the foreground, real Arnie in the mirror. Uh, body double for um, JC in the furlong. mirror, furlong, real furlong here, and then we're now pulling round and into the puppet. Wow, it's, it's just such a and and there's an entire mirror image replica of the set on the other side of the mirror, which is actually a piece of glass. And then one of my favourite things is that they've put all those like notes and business cards on the mirror top right top left they're not visible in this shot that's a missed opportunity um oh yeah so that they could have a, ref- a quote-unquote reflection of them on the other side which is just another like the back of a business card taped to the other side of the bit of glass oh amazing to sell the mirror and like and like listen listen this is the thing how important is it could we have done that and scene? now it's a that could, we could yeah. Could we have done that scene yeah. without having the whole mirror thing? Of course you could shoot yeah, that course. scene. But like but it wouldn't look as cool. It wouldn't look as cool. But like also well, it's one of those things that people won't you know, people won't realise how no, wonderful they don't, they don't know what they've seen. They just they just know in their heart of hearts that it's fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's important. Is because like you don't need to to know that you're being shown a magic trick. You just need the world exactly. to feel rich and deep, yeah. and that's what they're doing. It's like you listen to a song, you can't articulate what you love about the song. You just, it's everything working in concert that makes that song sound magic to your ears. And like yeah. you know, there had to have been conversations, you know, you know, before they shot this, as as to what. Okay, why do we need? Why do we need to go to this effort right now in this scene? To sell this, to do it this way. Why? Why not just do it like you know, just shooting around us? So we I don't, don't think anyone would dare ask Cameron <laughs> why I, at this point in his like, career. Because I fucking said so. That's why. <laughs> but as you said, Dan, it's because he was a special effects guy, and he probably had this idea, and he just went, "Oh yeah, why don't we just we got Linda Hamilton's got a she's a twin sister, isn't that right? Is that am I right in saying that? Uh, I I don't know if it's a it's it's either a paternal twin or it's uh or it's just a sister. Okay. But they're not fully identical, but they're similar looking. It's just amazing. It really is amazing. Oh, it's incredible. Do you know what would have improved Terminator 3? Is if they brought back Edward Furlong, regardless of how bloated or um, dealing with addiction issues as he was, I think that that would have actually enhanced the character and made the character feel more tragic might have been just sad. Oh, yeah, they could have totally done uh, like but a I version that's that fine. worked with him. That's fine. And this scene, so for, for the purpose of the narrative of this film, the scene what they, and what they did, for people who don't know what we've just wa- watched, is a scene that was cut from the original thing. And um, basically, they've removed the chip, the CPU chip, from the T1, T-800's head, and they've changed it from read to write. So now... Uh, now that they've reinserted it back in, Arnold Schwarzenegger can now learn, and that's what, what why Oliver, Oliver Schwarzenegger, the T eight hundred, begins to adapt and change. And he's driving, he's driving the Chris, not the Christmas vacation. He, he's just driving the um, the car from the vacation movies, those station wagons with the wood paneling. <laughs> oh my god, that's what it looks like. It. <laughs> yeah. My god. This whole section as well, where they go to Mexico. It really is iconic. 
Everything about this film is iconic. Will, when was the first time when you saw this film? Uh, VHS uh, at home. I didn't get to see it in the cinema. And uh, it was just one of those films that I just thought, again, kind of just one of those films that you realise, fucking films are cool. Like, it was just like, yeah, films are would cool. Would you have watched this with your brothers, with your parents, by uh, yourself? I was what would very you much at the stage, I was, I, I was a solo operator at the stage. I was just going to the video library, renting out my own shit, and uh, watching them on my own time. Do your brothers like movies? Or my, is it a different kind of like, my my middle uh, the funniest thing was I two I've two older brothers so I saw a lot of older films I saw horror films when I was a bit younger you know uh, Platoon when I was way too young um, oh that is oh, I no, saw man. Platoon when Jesus. I was about eight I would say and uh, that yeah, was really disturbing when, he, when the guy was you know got uh, the booby trap went off and the, both guys arms the soldiers arms were blown off I still can feel oh I can God. still feel the trauma of watching of seeing that so at this stage I was watching this on my own my oldest brother really wasn't into films and I could never understand it I was like going he was like I don't like James Bond I don't like Indiana Jones and I was just I don't get you I just don't get you but my little brother it's weird yeah my enough. little brother would watch uh, kind of anything but I was the, the film I clearly was the film nerd and and i was renting films and watching them on a small vhs tv and it was kind of like my own kind of saturday night thing to do so yeah that's what i mean dan dan you said that you didn't really get into films until you were uh old enough that you could actually make those decisions for yourself because you said uh, i think it was either in the episode or it was a preamble that led into the, the interview on the episode that we did that um you didn't really have access to a lot of movies until you were well. So I think a lot of the a lot of the access I had was through the filter of my friends because right. when yeah, I was yeah. very young, we didn't have a TV in the house. When we did have a TV, it was very controlled. Um, <laughs> that smile, hmm. sorry, Aaron, trying that's to what, smile. That's, yeah, it's it's one of the best fake smiles. One of the best. I don't know how to smile smiles in film history. It's very good. <laughs> um. Yeah, so like, so as soon as I was able to to access that stuff myself, I became voracious. And so when I was twelve, I briefly went to boarding school. I was at boarding school for about a year and a half before I got expelled. And during my time there, what's board? Not to not to sidetrack you, but what's boarding school like? Uh, I, I've never known anyone to go to boarding school. It's super fucking weird. Um, I don't know if my experience is a representation. Does it feel like prison? No, so I went to a super hippie left-wing boarding school. <laughs> okay. So no uniforms, teachers by first names, co-ed, uh, like... Oh, okay. It was, yeah, like super laid back. It was like... Lucky you. Yeah, like we had a bunch of celebrity kids there. Oh. It was... Well, fucking Edward Furlong briefly attended. What? Yeah. What? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Why did you a, bring this a, up a, sooner? A, Go on. A year, or, a year or two ahead of me, I had very little to do with him. But by all accounts, he turned up and he was a right bellend and he told everyone on he was his friend. So they had to be like respectful to him. And then everyone was mean to him. And then he got taken out of school again. Oh I think he was there for like two or God. three days. <laughs> I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know if he even properly attended. Amazing. I think I think he just like came to check it out and then got taken away again. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't see him in the flesh, did you? Uh, I, I think I saw him. I didn't speak to him. Okay. But wow! Oh my God! What an amazing bit of what amazing anecdote! But it to was, have. but it was, it was one of those. It was that kind of school. Like Jay Jagger was there, Sophie Dahl was there. Um, who else? That's posh. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name from Cooler Shaker? Who was that? <laughs> 
What's you say, Dan? Everybody in the film business is posh. Well, but so what happened was my uh, my dad had uh, had taken early retirement from his job uh, as a computer programmer, and had then contacted the company that uh, like had his like the job finished. He had been headhunted quite early on as a as a smart young algorithmic programmer. He had been writing security protocols for this operating system. Cyberdyne, by said, any chance, was that the name of the company? Cyberdyne ish, <laughs> Cyberdyne adjacent. They uh, they said the job's over. We need to get rid of like however many staff who wants to take early retirement. The deal is your uh, pension will kick in immediately, whatever your age. Oh, and so my dad who was in his like maybe late 30s jesus um was like i'll fucking do it and he quit they gave him his pension from his 30s and he contacted the company who were providing his pension and was like you have an al- you have an algorithm look licking yeah licking yeah you have an algorithm that says how long you think i'm probably going to live and therefore you know how long you think you're going to have to pay me monthly for the rest of my life yeah so i'll if you give it to me in cash I'll take 75 pence on the pound right now. Wow. And they went, yeah, fuck it, take the money. So he took the money and then he invested in loads of little computer companies, uh, like being like, these guys are doing something interesting. These guys are Dan, doing are you, is your dad like super, super, super rich? No, God, not anymore. Like he did, he oh. had for a, for a brief moment in my like early teens, we were fucking loaded. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, and then because he so one of the companies he put money into was in uh, into was IDOS about like a year or two before they released the first Tomb Raider game. No and way! Obviously, that went fucking gangbusters, and so suddenly, yeah. like, and at the same time, I was at state school and I'd just been diagnosed like heavily dyslexic, and then this teacher was like, "Dyslexia is not real. Your son's just fucking lazy and stupid," <laughs> and my yeah. my parents were like. <laughs> Wait, but but we're rich now, so our son isn't stupid. Our son is like not being academically challenged. Oh my god! And listen, you are far, far, far from stupid. That teacher was a moron. I don't know. But I don't know the name of that teacher. This is why, Will, I love the commentaries mm-hmm. because <laughs> there's so much, there's so much road that we travel that this, the conversations just go off on these crazy tangents and you find out all this stuff and it's like amazing. That's, that's but, incredible. Yeah. That's it's, oh, Jesus. So you have uh, a part ownership in, in the inception of uh, Tomb Raider and Lara, and Lara I mean, like we have, I have obviously, A, I don't think IDOS even exists anymore, but B, no, like that all ended a long, long time ago. And actually it's a, it's a weird running joke in my family that uh, every generation of my family makes and loses a fortune. So I have told my wife that if I ever strike it big and suddenly have a lot of money, she needs to take control of the purse strings and not let me make any financial decisions because I will steer that shit into the ground like the Hindenburg. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I think you're safe there. That's fantastic, Dan. That uh, is fantastic. I love it. I love it. That's just that's just made my night. That little, <laughs> that little story. Oh man. Now in the story in Terminator Two, for dear listeners who aren't watching along with us, um, we are now firmly in Mexico. We had a little. Uh, we were with uh, Dyson, and we had some neck licking. We had a sojourn. And it was a perfect time for uh, Dan to tell us his story there because nothing really happens there. Um, but this is no. what I'm talking about. This is the slow point. <laughs> yeah. Linda's now 
she's got a stash of weapons, which she came back to. I'm pretty sure, doesn't she come back to this? Or John Connor comes back to this in future films? This, um... I think they use this principle to indicate that she has caches around. Mm. This is one of the very, very rare sequels to a mainstream film that justifies its existence, um, enhances the first film, and should have ended there. Yes. There are so few films that nail it as well as this one does. Mm -hmm. And it really closes the loop of the first film. Oh, absolutely. That all the other sequels just feel so um, reductive and destructive to the story that's told in the one first and second film. You're just better off ignoring... You're just better off ignoring that they exist. That's what I kind of do know. I yeah, just kind of go, right, that's it. Pretend... Just not going to watch those other things again. I <laughs> what love a them. shame I love this. It, they never made any more. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Ooh, what would your... Um, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, anyway, I won't start bashing on films that we've discussed on other things, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate place we're in where we're just in uh, an IP machine and uh you know in the state of the film industry and television industry where all all they can really get made except for in, in a few exceptions are proper is what you know already yeah. where every time you watch something you there's somebody who has an awareness of the characters they're not being they're not discovering anyone for the first time mm, anymore no. for the vast vast majority of cases and that changes the purpose of stories because all you're doing then is you're watching to see how they do this rather than what happens next or who these people mm. are. And those are very different questions to ask yourself when you're a viewer. When you're going in and saying, oh, we're, watch- we're watching another Spider-Man movie. How are they going to do this one? It puts you in the position of critic. What's Peter Spider-Man going to do this time? <laughs> the thing about it is, is look, good films are still being made. Good, original, self-contained films are still absolutely being made every year. It's just that they're not getting the they're not getting the space in cinemas um, to to be exhibited and for people to fall in love with them. And they're not kind of also not being made on a budget where they can kind of look class and be amazing. Um, and and the coverage is gone because all the oxygen is getting sucked up by the same output from the same people over and over again yeah like dare I say it like I have had no interest in seeing any of the new Marvel movies I haven't I think I've seen one in the cinema maybe and um, I've just lost interest Um, may I recommend that you cast your eyes outside of the English language world yes there is some fantastic new IP occurring uh, outside of what we have because they don't have these like huge behemoth IPs to draw on. Also, Korea, uh, where they're making incredible movies. Oh, just amazing. It, it's because they have a, an ecosystem there that takes the profits of the successful films and plows them back into the native film industry where the they're rewarded for making hit movies for their audiences that... Yeah. We, but, it used to be the case in the UK until Thatcher came in and just deregulated. And, but they and, spread that money amongst the development in other areas as well. Like there's so much seed money put into it. It's so it. smart. Yeah. It's so smart. So you've got this thing called the Korean wave, uh, which didn't really include film until about 1999. Um, and so Korean wave two or 2.0 
which took off in like 99, 2000. So, uh, obviously a while after this movie, um, started with, uh, the first big budget Korean movie called Shiri, which was, uh, like a sniper terrorist action film that performed hugely. But around about the same time, a bunch of the new wave, uh, Korean TV series started performing very well in China. Mm. And they started to realize that there might be a, an external market for their produce. So they started putting more money into film. Um, and that gave us directors like Lee Chang Dong, who right at the beginning, moving into Bong Joon Ho, uh, doing like JSA and like these like great exportation films that were were making money, and they suddenly realised they could make movies. Korea didn't have really much of a movie industry before before nineteen ninety nine. Um, like indie art house stuff, like weird little horror things, nothing nothing big. Um, but now. Unlike Japan, which, you know, I love Japanese films, but they make stuff very much in their own language. Korea, because it was quite late to the international market, uses the American film language, but has it through this filter of Korean life. And because they don't have the genre divisions of uh, American cinema or Western cinema, what you get is this very approachable, very uh, accessible uh, foreign cinema, foreign language cinema, that looks like a Western film, but doesn't abide by any of the rules. It's still very like stru- <laughs> it's still very structurally logical. So you mm-hmm. still like buy into it. You can still like you know you. It's not like Thai horror, which doesn't translate to a Western audience at all, because it's like, well, what the fuck are they scared of? This is all nonsense to a Western <laughs> audience. Or like you know, like old Chinese vampires or whatever. But like with Korean cinema, it, it feels almost like a Western film, but it can turn because on a so fucking dime. It can go. Just- it can go from being a. It can. It's not even hyper capitalist. It's. It's. I mean, obviously, you know, all film is a business, and there's an, an innate capitalism to to the vast majority of it. But the they can because of that that genre that missing genre division. You get tropes from one genre crossing over into another, and it feels fresh. It feels mm-hmm. unpredictable. To you know, most of us, you know, your listeners are going to be film nerds like us, and you know, obviously, Kevin, you write. Will writes as well. He's the more successful um, writer. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you write as well. So, yeah. but, the, but, the, but that's the fact. Like, so the the fact that the two of you like watch stuff, and you must be like, you see the structure coming a million fucking miles off. Like, someone seeds something, and you're like, oh, I see how that's going to go. You know, like it's it, it all feels a little bit rote by this point in your career. I imagine yeah, watching does. Western cinema, none of that with Korean cinema. No, I, I watched a film the other day called Sinkhole, which is like a massive blockbuster in Korea. Hasn't been released over here yet. It's an absolute fucking treat. It makes no sense, like on a on a genre level, but as a narrative, it's super exciting. You're very invested in these characters, yeah. but they'll like they'll go from like slapstick, heartwarming comedy to here's a dead fucking child in like three seconds, <laughs> and you're just not ready for it. It's a roller coaster of emotions, like you are not used to. Mm. But I I'm curious what the Korean audiences think of that stuff. Do they think that this is all like carry on, like the carry on? movies and it's being outputted around the world and they're sort of baffled that anyone else would get anything from this or whether they all think that this is like badass awesome that there's there's nothing here which is um well you mean the korean stuff yeah the korean movies for korean audiences like are they looking at this and thinking it's all it's it's like with our music like the k-pop stuff where it's all turned up to fucking 11 and well you the think, k-pop stuff is i i feel the k-pop stuff is the is there most irony uh, involved a, here or I, well the, the k-pop stuff is the most cynical arm of korean culture 
because there's a lot of misbehavior in K-pop. It's very engineered. It's very farmed. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the same protections of art in place that they do in Korean cinema. It feels like there's like um, a lot of exploitation goes on with those young artists yeah, in that absolutely. industry. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different... They take 13, 12-year-old boys and give them all feminization surgery and, and <laughs> give them boot camp dance uh, academies for like six years and then they put them into boy bands well, but that but so that that weirdly that the like the the boot camp thing that you're talking about that has roots in in sort of east asian culture as standard like look at the peking opera school and like the kids that were going into theater training in their like you know seven or eight year old kids jackie chan yin bio and samu hung were all at the peking opera school yeah. and they were going out there and like being fucking hit in the legs with sticks if they couldn't like they'd have to run all morning and if they still needed to piss if they hadn't dehydrated themselves enough that they no longer needed to piss then they hadn't run hard enough and the entire class was punished oh my god Jesus. oh my god like yeah it's fucked but then that's how those three guys, the 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 dragons, got to be the greatest action stars of a of a generation, because they were brutalized as children. Here we're seeing just to bring it right back to the movie. We're seeing uh, current Sarah Connor looking at her older self, the um, waitress Sarah Connor, uh, in a playground just before she's about to get and this is the, nuked. And this is the culmination of all the playground imagery. We've had like three or four different playground moments. And it's also home of some of my favourite effects in the whole movie. <laughs> now these, because they're not Terminator effects, they get kind of forgotten, but that fucking burning puppet is amazing. And that burning puppet is less, well good, less good. But what's really good, and they, they do this again later with the exploding T-1000, is the decimation effects. Like, those buildings blowing apart is gorgeous. The roof coming off yeah. this bus, amazing. And then Sarah Connor coming apart and breaking into ash in a minute. It's absolutely beautifully done. Like, it's all so good. Um, I think when Stan Winston died, he was about to... He was prepping work on Shutter Island. And I can't help was but he? think that those exploding bodies got him the job on Shutter Island. Oh, the, yeah, with the turning into ash. Yeah. Do you want to hear what the uh, when this film came out in uh, in 1991? What was the top ten films in the box office that weekend? Yeah, go on, tell us. Okay, so obviously uh, this opened in first position, number one. Uh, Point Break. Uh, no, in number two it was Naked Gun, two and a half, mm. The Smell of Fear. In classic great yeah, movie, number yeah, three, film. it was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which was a fucking monster hit. It made ninety-seven million at that stage. Wow, uh, I thought that was a bomb. No, it made a ton of money, Kevin. Absolute ton of money. In Are you thinking four- of Men in Tights? Yeah, Kevin. that's what I'm thinking. Oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Men of no, Tights. No, this is no, this oh, is Kevin Costner. <laughs> okay. Um, no, 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 no. Not, not that Mel, not that Mel Brooks rubbish. I the one with the life-affirming rape scene. In it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I do, I do it for you. In, <laughs> in fourth position, it was City Slickers, uh, which also made a ton of money. Uh, another opening film that opened that same weekend was Problem Child 2, which I think I actually saw. Um, wow. Then uh, position six, it was The Rocketeer, which is a rollicking great oh, film. I love movie. The Rocketeer. Yeah. yeah. Um, number seven was Dying Young, which I think oh, I think I've saw. I don't it. know that it's a weepy. I do remember it. Yeah, anyways, it was about someone dying young, effectively. Um, and position eight was Backdraft, Ron Howard film with Kurt Russell and some Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, nine Soap Dish. That's um, fun movie. 
I can't remember it. Too it's well. sort of behind the scenes of uh, a soap opera, and it's a uh, it's it's a it's a farce. It's good. Wow! And in position ten was uh, Thelma and Louise. Which, wow! Uh, I would have thought that was higher up. Yeah, well, it had been out for at that stage. It had been out a while. These all—it's not as if they opened that weekend. It's it had been out. Oh, for, this is the weekend. That is the weekend. Oh, I thought this was the. Um, I thought oh, this I was the, the the top ten of the year. Oh well, I can tell you that as well. Can of course you know. Of course you can. Um, I could do that. Well, yeah, some good films that were out around. If you were to go to the cinema at this weekend that this came out in Independence Weekend of '91, there was a good selection there. It was a different time. Yeah, and the cinema was cheap back then. Back then, the cinema was like a cheap excursion, like two yes. quid to go to the cinema. And no, it's like fifteen quid. You can't, as a kid, go to the cinema and just watch something. You just can't. It's too expensive. Well, I can tell you quickly what the top ten of the year was. Um, obviously, number one was Terminator Two, which had made two hundred four million at that stage. This was the biggest hit of that year. Okay, yes, I didn't know that. In second place was Robin Hood, uh, uh, Men in Tights. No, Prince of Thieves. Um, 100, 165 million. Then number three was Home Alone, which was huge. Actually, no, Home Alone made more money, which I don't understand. Um, maybe that was from the previous year, but it made 285 million domestically. Oh, Fuck Christmas. Hell. It probably came out at Christmas of yeah, 1990. Probably came out in, th- in Thanksgiving, yeah. Then uh, in fourth was The Silence of the Lambs at 130 million. In fifth was City Slickers. In sixth was Dances with Wolves. So Kevin Costner had two massive hits that year. Seventh was Sleeping with the Enemy, that Julia Roberts thing. Eighth was The Addams Family. Ninth was Naked Gun 2.5. And number 10 was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ews. I saw that in the cinema. Did you? I did. I can't believe the Naked Gun movies were that big of a hit. They were. They really were. Oh, they were, sorry. We're in this cool scene now where they're going to... Yeah. It looks like Dan has lost the sound. <laughs> oh, we I'm lost looking, Dan. We're, we're looking at Dan and Dan is like... um. He can't hear what's going on. Oh, yeah, his he's earpods are out. Maybe he had earpods in. That's no, we can talk about it. Ah, he's coming back now. He's probably, what happened was he's probably, his earpods were probably gone. Um, but this is cool. The little dot on the back of uh, Dyson's head, and it's his little son saves his Did life. you ever have a radio control car as a kid? Never had a radio control car. I had one. I had was it, one. Was it amazing? Was it like radio control, not with the wire attached, cable attached? No, it was It was radio controlled. It, oh, there, was a, there was a major um, uh, sort of a period where everyone was getting those things. And I got one and it was probably was, the best toy I ever got. Really? I was desperately, I always desperately wanted one excited. One. My kid got one. A, and, uh, I don't know. There's, he's got a Mario Kart one now. It's actually quite cool. Um, I was I was yeah. so desperately here, keen folks. on getting. Will you keep talking? I'm gonna I'm gonna WhatsApp Dan. Okay, that's okay. Dan is... So okay, what we have is Sarah Connor now is advancing. She has unleashed her assault rifle into Dyson's home office, and um, it's she is she is what what I love about this is she has become the Terminator from a from a story point of view. She's become the Terminator. Yay! <laughs> what just happened there? I've just got Dan in. We're syncing everyone back up again. So we're no, all we have an everything. echo. I can hear somebody's feedback. We're coming through Dan's headphones, I'd imagine. Turn, the, turn down your volume. I mean, my, my, my volume is down to minimum. I, can't, I have no sound on. I'd like to point out that this child here, Fucking in his down two now. lines, 
in his two lines of dialogue, this child yeah. is a better actor than Edward Furlong. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Edward Furlong is great in this. I love him. He's my favourite. He made me want to be a screenwriter. <laughs> so you could write better dialogue for children. <laughs> I use that gag so much. Look at look at the look at the magazines under his head, under Dyson's head here. Okay, Playboy. Traditional No. Traditional home. Yeah. House is beautiful. And then Go on. We got to the wide. Playboy. Penthouse. Wait. Ireland no. zone. I'm waiting for it. No, s- what is this? Same. <laughs> Scott spends a lot more time on the closer than I remember. She's good in this. I don't know why you don't like her well. No, in, and then in this they're, all, they're all neat again. They're no longer messed up. Oh, you're not one of these people. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Not normally. Okay. Cinema sins. Everything they got wrong in this movie. <laughs> Fuck yeah. all that shit. There was, uh, I, 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 there was a little video I saw about all the things they got wrong in Star Trek. And, uh, and I, clicked, I clicked on it just for a curiosity. Well, what did they get wrong? And they would highlight in, in a panning shot across the bridge of the Enterprise. You, you could see a little cut of carpet that wasn't properly tucked in. And I was like going, that's not, a, that's not something they got wrong. It's like, Jesus Christ. It was really, really bad. Uh, my big problem with the realism of... Of Star Trek is that humanity dies in 2033 because we can't get our shit together and the earth burns. That doesn't happen in Star Trek. What? <laughs> that's the that's that's what's inaccurate. That's what actually oh, is going I, to happen. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, sorry. sorry. Uh, yes. We've only got a few centuries left, folks. Enjoy it. But from from a story point of view as well, what I love about this story is that like Linda Hammond, it, Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor becomes the Terminator. She becomes a taker, a, a taker of life. She's like lost emotion. She's a machine, and um, that's uh, for me. It's uh, good screenwriting there. She's well, but total, then, but then she's a total Karen. She, she also has the same arc as the T eight hundred because here she was about to shoot Dyson and she couldn't do it. She's learned. She's relearning emotion. She after the first film, yes. she <laughs> she became this crazy survivalist. Mm-hmm. She'd smash a man's face with a baton. She'd stab <laughs> a man full of fucking Trano, all that biz. But then when she comes to shoot Dyson, she can't do it because mm-hmm. his kids are there. Pussy. And like Arnie, who's had his de-emotion switch deactivated. <laughs> She's uh, she's learning again. She's learning to be human, and, just like him. And here we go. And it's just like, show him. And now we're going, Arnold Schwarzenegger's taking off that. Take him off. Take him off. And I love, I love Edward Furlong's moment where he actually just, hey, show me your stuff in your room. It's like, Jesus, it's, it's a really lovely moment of humanity. But Christ, here we go. So that's just, so that, Dan, obviously that's yep. just a knife that just ejects. With a bloodline in bloodline, it. Bloodline, yeah. right. And we're going to cut to a... Very, very candy apple blood. Right, And yes. then puppet hand, really broad palm there. Love it. He's got one shot at ripping off that skin, I assume. No, no, no. They could put that back on. Oh, okay. It's like a glove. You just slide it back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all, all the tear was off camera. It was on the blind side. So I say this good. like I know... This, my favourite thing yeah. here is look at how the index finger and middle finger shift over when he clenches his fist. There's like a radial motion on the... On the forefinger and the and the middle finger. Wow, that's some lovely mechanical work on that. You're using technical terms, radial. Yeah, but radial isn't technical. It just means like a rounder thing. <laughs> I'm not very intelligent, Dan. <laughs> 
but your words is your whole thing. Yeah, but I just use a thethorath for that. <laughs> yeah. I, how often I just go to the internet and I just say, um, and, uh, you know, roundy thing, uh, thesaurus, please. Synonym. And, uh, roundy thing, synonym. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> circle. That's what I wanted. He kicks the circle and scores. <laughs> Welcome Uh, to Sports Movie, the movie. (laughs) I had a character the other day in in a scene that I was writing, and he was making small talk with the other character about soccer, and I couldn't make it sound right, and so I just turned him into a movie nerd, and suddenly the scene worked. (laughs) Wow. Less less identifiable for a mass audience, though. Yeah, but I was like, um, what's he going to be saying to him? He's gonna be said, well, I, I got past the defender and uh and I I Oh, was he talking about having the... played football rather than having watched football? Yeah, he was talking <laughs> about training. He, it was a kid talking to a, a guy about training and he, he he had a great training session and um and I couldn't figure out how to make it sound anything other than like an American talking about soccer. So um Yeah, fair enough. So I changed him into a movie nerd. Yeah, the kid talking about movies. Oh, okay. And then I was like, think- oh my God, he's just like the Deus Ex Machina. And- <laughs> Do you think that this character, Dyson, is based, given that this is a time travel movie, and this character, Dyson, is responsible for the end of the Earth, is in some way based on James Dyson being responsible, at least in part, for Brexit? <laughs> I think most certainly, yeah. Yeah, this oh is, uh, God, this film foretold the future. I hope he dies with a vacuum cleaner stuck up his ass. It kind of kills me that I've got one of those vacuum cleaners in our in our um our press dump downstairs right now. Throw it out. Throw <laughs> it out. No, that's like burning your fucking Keurig. <laughs> that's Dumbo material. Just don't buy another one. Yeah. Don't buy another one. When it inevitably breaks. And <laughs> fell. <laughs> So this is a shot they use at the end of the film again, I'm sure. This, uh, yeah, or, or if not the same, then... And this is all a model. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a shot, <laughs> listeners, it's a shot of the, 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 you know, of the road, of, them, of the car headlights on the road. There's, a, uh, there's an amazing, I'm going to say Czech, but I may be wrong, uh, black and white uh, sort of like thriller called H8 which is a procedural build-up to the to a true story of uh, of a truck hitting a bus. And at the beginning, the voiceover is all like, these seats are the seats that die, and this is the order they die in. And it tells you the seats, but then the, the rest of the film is everyone fucking just getting up and moving about, so you don't know who's sitting in what seat. Jesus. And it's, it's very much a precursor to... Um, uh, Final Destination. Final Destination, thank you, Final Destination. But all of the exterior shots are done with miniatures, so every time it cuts out to the outside, it's like a bus and some fake trees on a like a bit of radial road that's just like running underneath them. Oh, God, what was that action uh, film I watched that was set on a train? Uh, there was some sort of a, a breakout with a monkey. Was it unstoppable with that very stoppable train? I no. think Outbreak. No, this is a, a, a was it an Italian film? It had Robert Vaughn in it. It had Sophia Loren. Um, oh Jesus, what was it called? 
Is it like rabbit or something like that or rabies? Talk or... away amongst yourselves there. I know he's gone on lockdown. Sure. Here we are. Oh no, um, it's not Robert Vaughn. It's the guy from fucking um, the guy from <laughs> Apocalypse Now. What's his name? Martin Sheen. Hmm. But Martin Sheen trained. We are Sorry. beginning one of the coolest scenes in this uh, sequences in this film, which is the the Dyson raid uh, as they're going to come in and try and. The objective is to try and just basically take the the chip. Isn't that what they're coming in to do and destroy it? The the chip in the arm, the yeah, they're the coming arm. to get the 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 souvenirs, the merch from the previous film mm. that allowed them to retcon the neural network that Dyson was working on. Yeah, so it wasn't enough to destroy Dyson's work; they had to go back and destroy the secret biz that Cyberdyne like salvaged from the hydraulic press at the end of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, what this is leading to is. The 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 big fucking battle in this building. Mm-hmm. They're going to do the uh, is it argon that they release? What's the gas? Something or other. There's a a a, a fire smothering, but you can't breathe it. Gas wow. that Arnie can walk through. I always thought it was laughing gas, and that's why he didn't work on Lawrence Foster. He's the only guy not <laughs> laughing. He, it's uh, it's tear gas, and Arnie cannot cry. <laughs> <laughs> the Cassandra Crossing. Oh, with Sophia Loren, Richard Harris, Burt Lancaster, Eva Gardner, Martin Sheen, O.J. Simpson, Lee Strasberg. I mean, that's a hell of a hell of a lineup. I've never seen the Cassandra Crossing. Well, it's it's quite good, but there is um, they're they're trying to get off the train, and it cuts to basically like a model train set, and it Here is laughably. Um, I fake. love this. They can't get through the door, and uh, Arnie just comes along and says, "Let me try." I remember very. I like received wisdom. This is called a bloop gun. I do not know if that's actually what it's called, but that is very much what we all thought it was called when I first watched this, and I've never corrected that piece of information. A bloop gun. Grenade launcher, isn't it? It's a t-shirt cannon. Well, no, that's definitely not a grenade that it's launching, because it's a shell that it's got loaded into it, not a grenade. So it's an impact explosive, not a timed explosive. It's a shell launcher. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's a shell launcher, but I think it's referred to as a bloop gun, but I don't know why. Bloop. Oh well, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. And I again, we're talking about this. Looks really cool. It's uh, it's given me kind of aliens vibes. The the way it's lit right now, and uh, just been in this office. He he knows how to block a shot. Certainly does. Sorry. Yeah the the M79 grenade launcher, also known as a bloop gun. Did I not say grenade launcher? What did I you say? You did say grenade launcher. Ah. You know, you said grenade launcher. I don't. I wouldn't have said that counted as a grenade because oh. it's like I thought a grenade was timed, and that feels like it's a, a an impact shell. I've just but yeah. It's its other names are the thump gun, the thumper, the bloop yeah. tube, big Ed, big Ed, and, a, <laughs> and the elephant gun. I like big Ed though. The best like name ever for a gun is a blunderbust. Isn't it great? And it's, it, so it's probably there's no looks- tea on that, Kevin. I have huh? a blunderbuss downstairs. Do no you? way. Yeah. Does it actually like? Is in? Did it at, at one stage? It's not a replica. Does it? Uh, no, no. It's no. I have. A, I have. I have two real fire. I have three real firearms in the house. Right. One of which is deactivated, and two of this which is my rifle. Functional. This is my gun. This fire. This, this is my. Fun. This is my blunderbuss. Okay. I want to know about the blunderbuss pistol. I want to know about the blunderbusses. Right. So you, I imagine a blunderbuss is like an extreme shotgun, where you have like a shell. Which it's, that's exactly what it's like. There's no shell. Okay. So blunderbusses predate uh, shell ammunition. Okay. So they're muzzle loaded. So you pour the black powder down the barrel, then you put a bit of wadding down, then you pour your shot down, then you pour a bit more wadding down. Right. And that stops everything from just falling out. Um, and my 
blunderbuss is a flintlock, which means it has an external powder tray on the outside, and then a little metal hammer that has a flint in it that you pull back. When yeah. you pull the trigger, the flint arm falls forwards, creates a little spark, lights the black powder. That spark travels through a hole in the side of the gun, lights the black powder inside the gun. That it, that burns very quickly, produces gas. That gas cannot escape, so it pushes forwards the wadding and the shot forwards. Do you need a so license like a, for that? No, because it's an antique weapon. How did you get it? Like, what was what? It was the... my grandfather's. Oh wow! So that have you ever seen an it, awesome thing? Have, have you ever seen it being uh, shot or used? No, I, and I and I don't know if at this point it would structurally survive being fired wow. again. Well, I'll it's t- certainly never been fired in my life. I'll tell you, you're just reminding me. I was once at uh, one of these like. What's the word? Yeah, a reenactment event where they were reenacting, like, you know, stuff from the Civil War. type things. Yeah, Yeah. but it was, uh, they were using weapons from the American Civil War. So, as you were saying, uh, guns where you'd load from the the muzzle down. Renaissance. Uh, A Renaissance fair type thing. But I'll tell you one thing. No, Ren fair's like fucking. Wizards and busters. Yeah, Sorry. Not, this, yeah. Was, this was uh, American Civil War type stuff, right? And I was standing beside the guy who was shooting off the, the rifle. It's a big long, it's like about, you know, three foot long or whatever. And my God, he fired it. But I I was standing beside him and I felt the sound concussion. The, the, the sonic wave. Yeah, yeah, in my chest. I was like, Phew. That would have been a musket. It was a musket, yeah. It was like, oh yeah. my God. God, I, could f- I felt it. It was like, wow, it was loud. But the thing is, you get that from regular firearms. Like, if you fire a, a normal gun now with live ammunition, you get a similar, like, sort of punch of, of gas movement. That's exactly what it was. I've never well, fired a gun. So you've also fired a gun. Dan. Dan? Oh, to me? Oh, God, I've fired loads of guns, yeah. See, I'd imagine, that, that, in your job, you probably... So many people on this podcast well, have shot guns, and I've never shot a gun. I've never it's, even handled a gun. Weirdly, my, my actual job requires very little... Although I trained in pyrotechnics at the beginning of my career, so I did work in explosives at the beginning. Uh, nowadays, my job has very little to do with guns. I just happen to be gun-adjacent quite regularly. What made my you... My brother-in-law used to work for the FBI. I've Whoa. been on, like, stag dues to Eastern Europe where we've fired <laughs> machine guns. Um, like yeah, loads of like just keep on crossing gun. I want, I'm, I'm a there's... I'm anti gun in my real life. Oh, let's quickly talk about this gun. Yes, this, this gun. fucking crazy gun. So I like he's like that's a damn minigun. Oh. Um, so that's yeah, that's a very specific piece of weaponry. Um, Arnie fans will recognise it as the same model of gun that Jesse Ventura uses in Predator. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but he's shooting remember... cops, so it's not a big deal. Well, he's not shooting he's not, cops. He's not he's killing anyone. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I remember watching this with my mother when I was like young, obviously, and uh, not my first watch. And her, and when it comes up at the end and it's like casualties zero point zero, she was she was like, "Oh, fatalities zero point zero. She's like, "Well, a no, he's clearly <laughs> hit some people. They've just not died, so that's not point zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, B, all cops are bastards. I mean that's that's what's weird is like of all the of all the adults I still don't consider myself an adult of all the adults I know uh, my my mother would be one of the first to be fully on board with ACAB but then <laughs> but then also is one of the strongest pacifists I know as well I consider myself among the pacifist count I, like I'm very much pacifist IRL but I love a bit of carnage in a film. Uh, whereas she can't suspend her disbelief to that level and is very upset <laughs> this kind of thing, this kind of behaviour. But I remember a friend enthusiastically telling me You've done some absolutely the- gruesome, and I'm talking, no, Dan, stuff that's made me queasy where I feel like I'm going to 
throw up uh, effects in in films that is for somebody who doesn't who's a pacifist oh my god you've got a dark you've got a dark uh um mind but that's it like you know i mean i'm sure you've had this conversation with with fools <laughs> in the past <laughs> but just because you could imagine a thing doesn't mean you endorse it no no of course not but i mean like um some of the stuff in high rise and things i'm like what jesus uh i remember horrifying uh, imagery I remember a kid in our playground at school very enthusiastically telling me that Arnie was the only actor licensed to carry a minigun because he was, like, <laughs> strong enough to deal with it. Oh, wow. I love uh, those kind of kids. And I, I carried I carried that piece of information with me for years. Not that I strictly believed it, but I just liked it as, a, like, a little thing it tell. And I, I looked it up before we recorded this. And apparently it is uh, now said that Arnie was the only member of cast and crew who could physically pick up oh, the minigun that they okay. had on set. Um, but what's so important, and we've got a little bit... Right. So technically, not licensed, but yeah. No. But um, but apparently, because it's got an external battery pack, it doesn't just run on explosives. Like most fully automatic guns use the, the combustion to propel the motion of the weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the minigun has a spinning barrel that has to be done electronically, so it has wires coming from battery packs. There's a lot and of they keep on having to hide those. Yeah, Sorry, it's cool. No, it's cool. It's, it's right. cool. But it, it's giving me Matrix vibes. But it's not artificial. So it's good slow mo where they like overcrank the camera. That's that's how yeah. slow mo should be done. I don't like when they do it after the fact. You, you say that, Will, but I I've got a big soft spot for after the fact slow mo. Oh, you look at like yuck. you look at John look at John Woo's stuff. Yuck. Where they would yeah. use no, they, but they'd use the reduced frame rates for emotional impact. So you'd have a, a, a full speed shot, but then as like a main character gets shot, it would break down to like. Oh, now it's 12 frames a second. Now that's, it's 6 frames that's a second. Sort of like... Now it's a still. And it's a stylized choice. It's okay. so beautiful. That's like film student stuff where you can explain away everything. You can just put like emphasis and thesis behind it. And I think it just looks shit to me. But anyway. So what you're telling me is John Woo is a bad director. and the... No, John Woo is not my favorite director. And he made the worst his, his... Mission Impossible movie. And he should actually. You, you can't. Apologize. No, you can't. You can't take a foreign language director being exploited by Hollywood and use their American output you know what as I an love? indicator of their work. What I love what he did was that um, Thandie Newton or, or whatever she's yeah. changed her name. Yeah, recently. yeah, Thandie Newton. Yeah, she said well, that. Uh, she said, "Yeah, it's, it's something else." No, I'm sorry. Uh, she said that on um, Mission Impossible Two, John Woo could speak fluent English, but he just pretended not to. Yeah, just so that he wouldn't be bothered by people, and <laughs> I thought that was genius. So he Man. never had to deal with any bullshit with anybody. He just was like, nah, "I don't understand." And I feel he did so. What he wanted. I feel so bad for Dyson right now. I I really empathize with this character and the way he's just panting and he's just like, "I don't oh. know how much longer I can hold this." And it's just, I feel so bad for him. I really I do. don't think that you could do. Do you that, think though. he doesn't want to blow up these men? He doesn't want to blow them up. No. But well, then just move your hand to the left a bit, James. But also he but also he knows that he's, he's a trigger man though. He's the trigger man. He has to blow up all the research. Who's feedbacking? Somebody's feedbacking. I think it's I think it's going through um uh Dan's headphones, but I think hopefully Sorry. it won't be coming back on the on his mic and his vocal <laughs> record. Well, it may be. I'll try and do a front and back. Like I'll I'll lead him to speak like Tay Zondi. What? 
That's a gorgeous explosion. It really is. This would all be CG now. Yeah, you wouldn't see it now. You just wouldn't see it. You also don't see the multiple cuts of things blowing up, so you get to see it from every angle. Oh my god, I watched a, uh, I watched a, I think it was Steven Seagal film <laughs> recently, I say recently, like five years ago, mm. where he gets thrown through a window and I think it shows it like 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was all the action that he did in that movie, I suppose. It's like that. All the action that wasn't catering table related. Was it, was it one of the Taken movies where we see Liam Neeson jumping over a, a fence and they show in 22 like, cuts or something? 22 cuts. It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't oh, seen it, look at, look at that Liam Neeson jumping over the fence. Uh, thing. There's so why, many here. Why did we get so many Liam Neeson action back. films and never get him doing another Dark Man? I know. Isn't it so strange? Mm. Because that film was a flop, wasn't it? But they did a whole raft of sequels. There was that was a franchise. But but by the time Liam they Neeson did more was a sequels big deal, to Darkman? Yeah, like I think they did ones. two or th- they did two or three. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of them. Not with Liam Neeson. Okay. Well, there's another missed opportunity because Bruce Campbell is Liam Neeson is Darkman at the very last shot of the first Darkman, and yet they never did a Bruce Campbell Darkman, which would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, I'd quite like a Terminator spin-off where there's a T1000 that sees an Ash uh, versus Evil Dead comic book uh, and is played by Bruce Campbell for the entire film. <laughs> That's random, but okay. We've all got dreams. Follow your dreams. Yeah. I, I love that. He broke his back. I love the way that this is so ominous. Really is like a slasher. Mm-hmm. The burning motorcycle. He doesn't stop. Yeah, he doesn't stop. And you know what? I, on the on the flip side then, I love how... I love the way Ernie is just... Again, he's unstoppable, but he's trying not to kill people. And the way he's he a most... Protector. Yeah, he's most efficiently trying to... I love that 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 little screenwriting uh, that, that 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 element of the story where he just his objective is not to take any life, and that's fucking class to me. I think it's so class. Where See him ripping the mask. John off. Connor's like, you can't kill anyone, and he's like, why? And he's like, because you just can't. And he's like, why? And he's like, because we have to have a PG thirteen for this one. <laughs> I don't think it was because PG-13. they're spending a lot more money on it. I don't think it was PG-13 in the UK, anyway, and in Ireland, because my cousin couldn't get to see it. He was 14. It was a 15 here. Yeah, he was too young. It was a 15 in England. It was raging. But we didn't have a PG-13 here. No, we had PG and 15. Yeah. yeah. 12s. What was a 12 that, show? That came out later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't 12. Uh, one of the Indiana Jones films was our first 12. We probably was, yeah. Did a, we did a whole thing about... Whenever oh. you rent or buy a video... <laughs> <laughs> I've completely stopped looking at my notes. Yeah, I'm just impressed you made notes, Dan. <laughs> Jesse Ventura said that if you fired that gun without blanks in it, with live rounds, you'd be thrown backwards, quote, like a rocket. <laughs> Another amazing stunt where he oh. drives the motorbike uh, out the window. Into there's the something to this which I'd never noticed before, right? But watch, he he develops like octopus arms. Yeah, he's got like a third arm that's flying the helicopter. Yeah, it's his penis. And I, I, I never, <laughs> it's his prehensile. 
But I'd never he's noticed t- it. He's the T-1000 because he has a thousand penises. <laughs> but, but what I love about it is they don't make a big deal about it. It's just there. It's just like, you know, another hand and it's not like a big effect or whatever. It's just Well, but they do that amazing bit later when like Arnie punches through his head and then he morphs so his That's hands a great become his head effects. and his head become yeah. his hands. That's great. I also like like how utterly convincing they are with how scared that guy is that he would just like step out <laughs> yeah. of the helicopter. <laughs> He's trying like, to be they honest show with off, you, I they show off their CGI because it's the only time the digital version of Robert Patrick speaks. Um, and he says, get out of the helicopter. He, he says, get out. And that guy's just like, yep, okay, off we go. <laughs> <laughs> just steps out of a helicopter. Well, the guy came in like liquid vomit and just turned himself into a person. <laughs> I'd be like, Silver sick. I'll see you. You can have the helicopter. I'd, del- I'd like to go on record and say that this level of damage of Arnie's face is my favourite of the various... You can see a bit of the endoskeleton also, terminators. We're going to see one of the most dangerous stunts that was pulled off on this film which is that they actually fly a real helicopter under an underpass. They did it for real. It's not fake. And it was extremely dangerous. But they pulled it off. You're about to see it right here. With his three hands flying the... the so he's shooting with both hands, and he's got his other arm steering the chopper. And reloading. And his, other, and his chopper steering the helicopter. There, there we, we go. go. That shot was so dangerous to pull off. It's wow. real. Is it like of all the other stuff in the film, I feel that's underwhelming. John Landis would agree with you. <laughs> John Landis would not agree with me, and John Landis would say, "Do it again, but put some kids in there." Oh no, no! Oh god, this is so good, man. Why can't I, um, movies be like this now? On the uh, on the Arrow podcast a little while ago, we covered the um, the Friedkin uh, picture. What's the What's that fucking art forgery picture he did? Ooh. Oh, um, in the 80s. You're going to have to look it up. Oh, it's bad. It's a bad film. He was a psychopath, like, though. The, the, yeah, I mean, you know. But the the whole point was he was like, oh, we've got to do a better... That fucking helicopter crash is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, we've got to do a better car chase than... French uh, Connection. French Connection. And they do it, and it's the first time you ever see a truck jackknife on film and all this kind of stuff. But when you watch it, it's like, oh, it's kind of dull. Like, it's not very exciting because right. it doesn't have the visual impact of it. And they've wasted their time, and it's not as good. And I feel a little bit similar about the helicopter going under that freeway. You're There's so to much and amazing die in LA. shit going on in this film. To live and die in LA. Oh, wait, is that wait, the wait. one you're on about? Okay. No, yeah. no, I, that, that, that can't be it. But that's got Maybe a great is. car chase on it. But, um... Uh... Is that yeah? Is that the one? That's uh, who plays the baddie in that? I'm looking up here. What's the Guardian? I've never seen the Guardian. Oh, Guardian's amazing. I haven't I've not seen, seen that. Either. Either. The Guardian's a super dumb. Like, is it a werewolf or is it a were tree? <laughs> Deal of the century. I've never seen Deal of the century. What the fuck is? I it, love then? this guy's voice when he says, "Are you hurt?" He's got. A very uncharacteristic voice. The Brinks job? Well, Brinks are, are uh, money trucks. It's the exact same as the first film. He just doesn't stop. It's the same It's the same. No, story. it's the exact same. I, as yeah. I said at the beginning, the structure is identical. Rampage, 
CAT Squad was a TV movie to live and die in LA. Wang Chung to live and die. It's a music video. Lord. Yeah, yeah, Wang Chung. Yeah, yeah, no. So Wang Chung did the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's to live and die in LA is the movie I'm talking about. Okay. And it's got a couple of very bad special effects that he talks about on the commentary as being good, and they're not. They're very bad. Um, and then the whole film is also bad. <laughs> that's really because that's one of those films that has a huge cult following. And yep, I, they're wrong. I've Every single one of those people it, is wrong. It's one of those films that I started watching. It's William, what's his name, is the lead in it, I'm pretty sure. The guy from Manhunter. Defo- no, yeah. Defoe is the baddie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never finished it. I was actually, and I wanted I to watched watch it. I watched it for car chases, for the chase things. Yeah. Rewatched the, it, actually. It the the car chase is, it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, yeah, they did a bunch of stuff for the first time, and it's technically impressive. It's but not a better car like, chase Aesthetically, than, it's not very exciting. Than French Connection. No, God no, it can't touch the French Connection. Because the French Connection found, feels legitimately dangerous. Because it was legitimately dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> as does this. Yeah, This is fucking great. Like, the buffeting they're doing, being pushed against the rail here. Mm. All these sparks, and the fact that they keep on showing us the big liquid nitrogen sign. <laughs> Everything can go boom, like, really quickly. And even when he, when, when that truck rams up against the chicken, the chicken, chicken truck and just... Decimated, eviscerates the the wooden smashes cabin. the back off it. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. It's so good. It feels yeah. like oh, there was a bit of a reprojection that oh, the reprojection yeah. there doesn't look so great. So there's a, that's that's reprojection versus superimposition. So okay. when when Arnie is on the truck and the truck has crashed and he's timing it and then he jumps off and he does a forward roll, that's superimposition. And that's the worst bit of superimposition in the whole film. Okay. So stick with it. You point You'll it out. see it. You'll hate it. Get ready. <laughs> I yeah. don't hate anything about that's this rear, film. That's, that might be superimposition. If it is, it's good. I think it's rear projection. I love um, the way he climbs onto the onto the hood, as my American friends say, of the truck. And start shooting him in the chest. Oh yeah, and it's just like this unrelenting... Just yeah, yeah, just brap, brap, brap yeah. through the window. It's great. I do like all the extended edition stuff, though, uh, where the T one thousand is breaking amazing. down. And oh, in the in the in the in the, in the ice water, yeah. <laughs> in the, in the liquid nitrogen. <laughs> I don't I, think so there's they, a jackknife. That's a better jackknifing than the one into Live and Die in LA. Let's I, all agree. I also don't know whether they do transport liquid nitrogen in huge tankers like that and not in actual barrels. Here we go. Is this the shot? I feel like barrels don't work for liquid nitrogen because it is so cold. It has to be kept at pressure to be that cold. Here we go. And he jumps off. Wait for the forward oh, roll. There yeah. we go. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's dog shit. <laughs> that really is. This is a miniature. Right, it's because sure. the speeds are wrong is why it really doesn't work. But the black levels are this wrong. This is why CG forward, is so much level. better. And every movie has CG. <laughs> you know what? Compositing the CG version of superimposition is better than superimposition. So that's a place where I've, I do feel that CG has definitely improved everything. Um, I, I've got a lot of time for CGI uh, and for VFX in general. I think there's there's excellent uses for them. Of course. It's, it's, only just it's the only problem is anyone who thinks that one tool is innately better than another yeah. and therefore isn't choosing the best tool for any given shot. And that's one of the strengths of this film is that literally Cameron is choosing shot by shot the best special effects for each job. Mm. Uh, and so sometimes you'll have a sequence that's like three seconds long and it's eight shots and you've got five different special effects in it, all done completely differently and from completely different disciplines. 
But yeah, here's his oh, frosty so McNofi. It's amazing. He's also Patrick's really great at selling it, like in the top shots where you see him. Mm-hmm. And then here, when he when his arm snaps, he lifts his arm up, and it would have been so here it would have been so easy to have it be that. But then that little turn as he looks at it and he rotates it. That's like Winston's absolutely smashing it. Cameron's smashing it. Patrick's yeah. smashing it. Everyone is at the top of their game. It's so good. Like I wasn't even sure if that was Patrick himself, but it is Robert Patrick. I mean, it may oh, not be. Hasta la vista, and that's baby. so good. Mm-hmm. I love it. He gets smashed. Even though it's very obviously a left and right wire pull rather than a front point ballistic impact. It reminds me of when uh, <laughs> Bishop is ripped in half by the alien queen. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Almost as though they had the same designer. <laughs> I love, I love, Dan, I love your insight because you're just throwing out, it almost looks like the way you just throw out like, you know, these little techniques and I haven't a clue what you're talking about, <laughs> but I'm just loving, like I'm watching this film, but, but having your rea- immediate reaction to a shot that I, that I love and seeing your... But what I like here, Will, is the superimposition of this moment. <laughs> it's so good. This is good. So this is what we're seeing here is gallium. <laughs> gallium is a metal that melts okay. at uh, like a bridge temperature so you can make a like a, a solid object and it'll melt in your hand magicians like it and now this is mercury so the mercury would have had to be shot like under a very controlled conditions unless they didn't care because i had a doctor when i was about 12 and he used to just give me a petri dish of mercury because apparently no one fucking cared back then oh he used to give you a what of mercury <laughs> Petri dish. Like a petri, a petri dish or petri with a two-pence okay. piece and some mercury in it. And then like I'd get to push the two-pence piece around and it would slowly oh absorb my. the mercury and go silver. And then I'd have a, a poisonous 2P at the end of it. Oh, my God. In science class, uh, we used to use uh, thermometers and I dropped one of the big thermometers and it fell through the, the, the tube and it smashed on the floor and they had to evacuate the classroom because <laughs> there was mercury on the floor. How old were you at this point? Um, uh, I was at least 14. So between 14 yeah, and 16. I, I feel like that's the, the gap is between me at like seven or eight being given mercury just loose to play with <laughs> and you being evacuated for smashing some mercury into the world at 14 is when they were like, yeah, we probably should let kids eat this stuff anymore. <laughs> Mr. Shine, science teacher. Oh, he hated me. Hated me. <laughs> Before or after the smashing of the mother. So- Talking of Mr. Shine, one of the reasons the chrome metal (laughs) T-1000 looks so fucking good is because they're using like photo reflection. I fucking love this. Here's a question for you guys. Is he... I love that rubber finger gag. Is his, um, like system breaking down because it's just too hot in this environment for him so he's a bit melty or because the the the, the liquid nitrogen is fucked poly up. alloy or whatever it is can't be yeah. frozen and then rethawed like cheese like you know how if you freeze cheese it goes weird yeah yeah I, is uh, he like that he's I've i think it's frozen the, cheese i think it's it's that the 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 liquid nitrogen and him I think that screwed him up because you see him completely yeah, like malfunctioning now. Yeah, the cheese, the cheese option. I'm going with cheese. Cheese. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what cheese. I think. I like to think it's also, cheese related. None of this was hot, so this was just uh, lights in normal like water with corn starch. And oh, stuff but like that. Kevin, sometimes some of the stuff they're showing us is pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Dan. But it, you do sort of like take it in as though it's like um. It looks oh, it's beautifully done. It looks uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And Arnie gets so, so many cool hero shots in this film. This is one of them. Like, you know, so many well, fucking this, class hero shots. That shot feels very much like the stuff, like, uh, I don't know if you remember the story about how when they pitched uh, From Dust Till Dawn to George Clooney, no. uh, Robert Rodriguez said to him, uh, I, d- I don't know if it'll make you rich, but it'll make you a hero because I'll only shoot you as a hero. Like, every shot will be a hero shot in the whole film for Dust Till Dawn. And if you look at shots of uh, Clooney and Dust Till Dawn, almost all of them are like, oh, that's so fucking good when he swaps, when Robert Patrick gets... And and here's the head punch as well. Like, that's the thing. When this film, like, takes the brakes off, it's just wall-to-wall badassery. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And now, and then the arm crush. It's and not only that, but the little detail of the bare uh, endoskeleton fingers through the torn gloves yep. before the arm gets sucked in. They didn't have to do that. That's just Stan like being excellent at his job. This is the thing. This is what's sorry, Kevin. This is what separates the 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 all right to the, from the amazing. It's the it's the fucking details. It's the yeah. details. Those little, those little extra moments and those little extra, like as you just described, the the the, the fingers of the skeleton poking through the glove, like those details is what separates that. Okay, it's, from the amazing. Every person here is bringing their A game mm-hmm. because every person here believes in the project. Yeah, and that's like I've I've been on a couple of jobs where like HODs have started to lose <gasps> here faith we go. in it or whatever. Tell us, and it's like. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be specific, <laughs> but there's nothing more disheartening. Like, even if a film, like, even if you are all aware that a film won't be the best film you've ever worked on, like, to to give up on it, when to do not you know that? Try your best. What's that? When do you know that? There's there's red flags. Day one. <laughs> like, you can see it. Like no one, no one accepts a job. I mean, I I speak personally. I I can't say that no one. I wouldn't take a job I thought was going to be bullshit. Like I have faith in every job that I take, but every every job is a journey, yeah. and you know, some like you you get a feeling for how a film is going. Is it produ- you know, like maybe you're having to drop two scenes a day. I've taken maybe jobs you're... that I thought were bullshit because I was getting paid. So, and that's it. And I'm <laughs> definitely in a I'm definitely in a privileged position that I don't have to do that. Like that, I now have enough jobs coming across my desk that I can pick and choose. Um, but. Sometimes you have less faith in a job than others. It, that's just the way of the world. That's how yeah. the industry works. And and you all you can do is try and be the best, you know, your job title that you can be. When I was... I'd just left university and I was working on Batman Begins. And Kadoosh. the... Sorry, that was a name sorry. drop. No, 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 <laughs> but it's an important one. Because my boss on that job had inherited the company from his dad. His dad had done the miniature effects for Blade Runner. We were doing the miniature miniature effects for Batman Begins. Um, his first job had been uh, operating the eye scanner in um, Wow the he- in Blade Runner yeah. when he was a child because he was small enough to fit into the desk. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, and and he and I were like I was a very very much a junior on that job, and he and I were chatting, and he said the only way you'll find satisfaction in this industry is to understand that when you do your best work, that doesn't necessarily mean the film will be the best film. I love this bit where he gets cut in half. It's so fucking beautiful. Um, That's such a hard lesson to learn, though. When and it really is, because you have, like, because it's, because film is so innately gestalt, because it's uh, about all of these tiny little pieces coming together to create this big organism that is the art of film. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's often difficult to separate your and, and and I see the legitimacy of that difficulty for a writer more than for someone in my department because you know when you see a director misrepresenting your words on the screen that I, I can see how that would feel more disheartening. It's not your words so much as that a writer does every single person's job. Yeah, on the page. Uh, and has an imaginary version of the film and we see uh, the right oh, way to do it fucking head crush and so then um, it, it, it's almost like as a writer you, you're getting paid to be wronged so you're very rarely in the privileged position of seeing everything improved upon and you're more likely in the position of getting blamed for things that you you didn't do yeah. or you weren't responsible for mm-hmm. and you just yeah. have to take that so it's it's a weird head fuck of a job as a screenwriter and, yeah. and then when you do do it right usually someone else gets the credit like a director then somebody else <laughs> takes the takes credit. the credit oh yeah. god yeah. yeah yeah of course but usually. that's that's the you know with with successful art comes fevered egos so you, you can't <laughs> escape that people trying to, to take stuff from you uh, a director I really like working with did a film that I wasn't involved in a little while ago that they ended up taking a bit of flack for from their core audience because it wasn't their usual thing I know um, you one of it and they've been very very like politely quiet about defending themselves because it was for a studio but actually all of the things that were being complained about by the audience they're not their fucking fault like those are notes that came in from the studio that's yes. people overriding their opinion changing what they were going to do and then this is they, the they suddenly have to put out this horribly neutered version of the film audiences need to get more attuned to uh <laughs> deciphering who is giving the notes who's in the position of power on a project because it's not anymore always the director mm-hmm. and if no. you look it's at, never been the director if you look at a string of films from a certain producer and they're all bad and there's a variety of different people have come in and worked for them it's not that filmmaker's fault. It's that producer has mandated something which nobody liked and they did their best to make it work. Well, it's that whole, if you meet an arsehole in the morning, they're an arsehole. If you meet an arsehole all through the day, meet arseholes all through the day, it's you that's the arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, it's the same. Like I like when I'm, when, when I'm looking at someone's portfolio, it'll be like, oh, you've only worked for... You've worked for 20 years in this industry, but you've only ever worked for one company, each company once. That's a massive red flag. Yeah. Right. Because if you're good, if you're good to work with, people want you back. That's like on job interviews where someone says, um, I've never quit a job. So you've been fired from every job. <laughs> <laughs> well, but again, in our industry, that's different because jobs oh, yeah, totally. just end. Like they just run their time, don't they? Oh, it's such a weird business. It really is. We haven't talked about one of the greatest showdowns in movie history. But listen, we didn't make the movie, so hopefully this chat is... Um, oh, but now this, this moment, that's so good! And the moment is is Sarah Connor shows up to John, but two Sarahs. Two Sarah Connors. Oh, Metal Feet! Yeah. Shooter! The Metal Feet! That and there you go, one. that's the one. That's the one in-camera version, yeah. and then they've oh. done a digital infill on it. Wow. But you know what's so weird? The Metal Feet. I don't remember the Metal Feet until, like, you know, it's the first time I've kind of noticed This is it. a special edition uh, version. Ah, okay. Okay. They're giving her the hero moment, and up, coming up now is going to be one of the After Effects uh, slow-mo shots. 
it's strange for in a in a film that's full of great slow mo, the 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 final most important one they didn't do it in slow motion, mm. so they slowed it down in after the fact. But it's such a great moment, and he looks so, so here's the thing menacing. that that finger waggle right yeah yeah. So we've done a whole thing about how cyber uh, uh, thingy goes online. Here we go. What are they called? Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. That's just a decision they made later when they realised it was more badass. That's okay. Get down. Get into the lava. What were you saying? Uh, so, so, yeah, so Skynet, they made a big point about how Skynet deactivated Arnie's ability to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they fucked with his chip. So we are to assume, I presume that the T-1000 also doesn't have the ability to learn, Mm -hmm. which means that that finger waggle was programmed, which means that they made a sassy robot. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to have seen part three where the T-1000 comes back in the protector role. Imagine all the japes they could have gotten up to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, you have to remember that if a teenage John Connor was in charge of a (laughs) shape-shifting robot... (laughs) It would have gone much more weird science. You're going to be female from now on. <laughs> it just looks better and also... Whips, you know, lips and fingertips, is you, that right? You need to look hotter because people are going to see you with me and no one's going to believe that a I fucking shell. love this m- mutation. It goes like an endoscope down the throat. Yeah, It reminds me it's of Lombard so Man. good. Well, but this was that was Lawnmower Man's best and most realistic effects, whereas this is a Metal Man melting in this film. And several years earlier. Oh, it's so good. Do you know anyone that doesn't like this film? And what's wrong with them? I haven't met anyone who said this is a bad film. Dan, have you? Uh, my mother doesn't like this oh, film. Oh, well, Dan... <laughs> <laughs> she liked it when I saw it with her. And well, what's what's wrong with her is that she's it's she's a pacifist. That's the problem. Uh, what's what's wrong with her is that she hates fun. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like Arnie's massive back slash left hand side. Yeah, in no, the sequence. Come here to me now, Dan. With all the trickery and stuff they did with that mirror shot, could they not have figured out a better way to shoot him in that angle so that we don't see the big hunchback where he's hiding his arm? Like, Well, but also, why does his fucking robot eye not look in the same direction as his human eye? <laughs> there you go. Like, it, it would be easy enough, presumably, to take to have that section be removable and drop in a different eye per shot based on where he's looking. Because yeah. it's not like his eyes are darting around. He's not watching fucking tennis. You know what? This film is shit, honestly. <laughs> yeah, know, I'm out. Yeah. You know what? I've, I've talked myself around. Off. I'm fucking done. <laughs> very, very poor. Also, while the the first iteration of the damaged uh, exoflesh uh, version of Arnie is my favourite aesthetic, I would wager that this is the general audience's favourite version because every special effects artist will be able to tell you that they get asked 1,000 times a year, can you make me into a Terminator around Halloween? And they always mean this version. (laughs) And do people do that? What do you mean? Do, do special effects artists? Yeah, if somebody no, comes up to you we, and says, Will a, you make me No, no, we, we, we all appear like a chorus and tell people to fuck off. Well, I, I think that was, Kevin was actually pointedly kind of saying, and do you do, <laughs> you do it? Maybe, Dan, for me, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't have to do 
I would I would sit there in the makeup chair and get turned into a Terminator. Yeah. Oh love shit, it. yeah. I'd love to. I'll tell once. you I'll tell you what real people don't like having to deal with, not being able to see out of one eye as they get drunk. Uh, I've I've done a number of self makeups. I like in to my get early so career. drunk that I can't see out of both eyes. Well, but what if you can't see out of the one eye that's left available to you? <laughs> Sounds like a good night. If your brain decides that, <laughs> oh, now I know why you cry. Uh, but the, 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 this stuff, right? It can seem a little hokey and a bit, um, a bit cheesy. No, after the fact, but that's. I think because so many other inferior filmmakers have copied this, and so now this stuff feels like pastiche when it wasn't at the time. It wasn't, yeah. But I still, I still feel that it holds up because this film is such a rise. You need the, to be a cynical bastard to look yeah. at this and think like it doesn't work. What these characters have endured to get to this point in the film, you just go shit. Um, you know, you want them to stay together. You want them to triumph. You want them to be that unit. Um, and not return for several sequels and just live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't make any more of these movies. They didn't? This no, they didn't make any more. Ending. That was it. There was talks about a Terminator 3, um, but no, it never happened. Fair play. They held out. Oh, it's so good. It is good. Oh, Dan, Dan you're crying. And Will, you're you're crying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, it looks people, like I'm crying. I'm, I'm masturbating. Trust me on this, people. They're crying. I can see them right here. Okay, so here's a question: Why don't the chains melt? They do. Do they? Yes. Yeah. Keep watching. Is Stop there... ruining this film for me, Dan. <laughs> you know what I would have thought. What what I would have thought. And this is me being completely ignorant. That certain metals, you know, have a, you know, that it's made with some sort of alloy that is. Yeah, steel beams. So, don't so melt. here's a here's a fun thing to here's a fun look look why those metal those chains have definitely not melted. You can see it like <laughs> ebbing up and down on the surface. Um, the melting temperature of a metal is pretty closely linked to the hardness of a metal. Okay. So the T one thousand, his speciality is that he's a a controlled metal. So he can be soft, but it doesn't matter. So he melts very easily. Hence the proximity to the molten metal causing him to reform. Um, the T-800, he's made of something super fucking tough. I don't, I don't know what it is. Uh, let's say rhodium. He's a rhodium robot. Um, that's a very, very hard metal. It's got it's a very high melting point. Those, Yeah, well, I did, I did think of unobtainium when they were wheeling out all those barrels of made-up fucking <laughs> chemicals before the explosion. Do you know that unobtainium is a real thing? It's like a, it's a. I mean, I think it is now a real technical term for, you know, difficult to acquire um, elements. But anyway, and That's the film's silly. ended just like that. It's over. Oh but, yeah. my god! What a movie! What what a banger! <laughs> Doctor. Um, I'd just like to point out that from my notes, uh, one of the big things I wanted to mention was that the fantastic line: "It's in our nature to destroy ourselves." Or it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. It's true, though. Um, it's a great line, but it's also a great double album by Nish Kumar that is currently available. Gone away. <laughs> Nish uh, Kumar. I know that Nish name. Nish Kumar. He's a uh, UK stand-up. Uh, absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's really good. He just they landed this year on on like you know Apple Music or Spotify or whatever you want to get them on. 
Um, plug, plug, plug. I, I mean, I don't fucking know him. I don't get any money out of this. I don't care. I just, I just like the albums, and I was tickled that they were named after a Terminator 2 quote, which I didn't immediately <laughs> recognise when I listened to them earlier this year. But then the second uh, Arnie said, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves, I was like, oh, yeah, like Nish said when he was talking about Brexit. <laughs> There's something else. There's some other uh, um, either uh, a comedy troupe or a comedy album, which is like Wolfie's right here. Oh, I bet if I Google that now, I'd find out. Who well, that there's is. a there's an there's a track on iTunes called uh, "Killer Robots with Knives for Hands," but it's not very good. You know, how people, with, you know how people killer robots with swords for hands, maybe. You know how people um, uh, name their production companies after quotes from films. Like a few people have yep. done it, Bad Hat Harry and stuff like that. I would call mine if I ever had one. I'd call it Planet Houston because what? of Superman Two. Oh. When General Zod arrives and he thinks that this is Planet Houston. Anyway, there you go. That's such a good idea. That's actually I never realised that that's production companies have been named after quotes from films. That's an actual great idea. Production <laughs> companies and bands, but then bands also do lines from other songs. And I think Morrissey didn't Morrissey take a lot of his lyrics from nineteen like, fifties <coughs> films. That's what like you know a lot of his where he was inspired. He actually literally lifted a lot of his lyrics from yeah, British nineteen fifties. One movies. of my very very favourite nineteen thirties noirs is called Girlfriend in a Coma. Ah, there you go. That's, no, no, I made that up. That's not true. <laughs> God, I was thinking. Well, they've got angels with dirty faces, so maybe there is a film called <laughs> "Girls in a Coma." <laughs> no results for Wolfie's right here. Okay, maybe I just made that up. Visual executive for productions. I'm just looking at the. I'm actually reading the credits. I got uh, I got tutted at for staying in my seat to read the credits. During June, no, who wanted to get past me? Pricks, pricks wanted to get past me Ah. and were tutting at me. And you just wanted to see that post-credit sequence where we see the 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 multiverse or whatever it is. (laughs) I have the opposite uh, story to that, which is that whenever I have seen films at BAFTA, it bothers me that I just can't leave when the credits are playing. You have to sit there for like nine minutes of credits. It's like no. I don't give a just fuck. play the hit <laughs> Nintendo game from Acclaim. I just noticed that as well. Yeah, I just want people to be able to make their own decisions. Don't turn on the lights too soon. Let people leave if they want to leave. Let people stay if they want to stay. Just, just fucking leave the film be until the very end. That was it. Wolfie's just fine. It's John LeJoy. Um, oh, John LeJoy. Yeah, LeJoy. From, from the league. Uh, yes, and, him. Yeah. Uh, Wolfie's just fine. That's the name of his uh, his... Uh, musical uh, shit that he does. Sorry, it's late. I'm half drunk. Oh, he's got a he's got a whole other musical thing as well. I like his stuff. It is he's very funny. good songs. Dan, thank you so much for yeah, coming Dan. on and and dropping so much knowledge. Seriously, uh, it was. I hope it wasn't too much of a superimposition. <laughs> hey! Oh wow! When when during the recording did you plan that? No, amazing, just like, no, just Kevin. Oh, oh, fucking zing, that's Kevin. Amazing. That is good. Like, this hour night. Oh wow! Well done, well done. But um, yeah, I think not only do we have to thank Dan for his uh, insight and his great stories and his anecdotes, we also want to thank our Patreon backers for helping us to make the show that we love to make and um, I hope you enjoyed this episode yeah so Dan 
where can people find you uh, I'm uh, on Twitter and Instagram uh, at 13 finger FX um, at 13 13 is the number at the one number three. one three F-I-N-G-E-R-F-X yeah um, and you've got some brilliant stuff on there so like for anyone that's interested in the behind the scenes of movies Dan's feeds are some of the most fun to uh, follow along and watch and see what he's up to yeah Instagram by and large is more like behind the scenes and occasionally pictures of my dogs uh, whereas Instagram is also peppered with things I have watched recently and opinions I have about stuff um, and Dan also does a great podcast uh, with um, Sam Ashurst uh, the Arrow video podcast it's so great I've been listening yeah. to this fantastic podcast Dan oh thank you very much Get yeah it's very much rules. very fun to do uh, we've recently weathered an intercontinental transit from my co-host you just got married. Congratulations, Sam. Yeah, Sam so. is now uh, Mr. Ashurst. <laughs> <laughs> he kept his own name. Good for him. Equality. Because the patriarchy doesn't make him change his prefix or his surname. <laughs> well, listen, thanks a million, everyone. And I really enjoyed this. Again, Dan, thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. But the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't really throw what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the latest Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it. That'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh at the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that, and people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice, so there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. Yeah, that's exactly what did you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. I'm not, I've not. I've. I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm. I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem. About the telly and the latest film. Talking shy, they're the dynamic duo. Don't forget, no, you owe us three euro. I come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean or I need to be in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. 
Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about should I start the timer? Is this, have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare okay. to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster of, very recently. It went, there's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies but I don't know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together so is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse to me it feels like it's in that space Mm. anyway I thought I'm done with superhero movies I'm just over them I watched Captain Marvel not long ago and I thought it was just tedious it's so lifeless the Marvels not Captain Marvel is that what Marvel's well she's in it Captain Marvel Captain Marvel 2 it was just sort of like, it was another one of those films that felt like Ant-Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like uh, yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels it's artificial wafer thin just wafery artificially no sustenance no satisfaction you no protein in it whatsoever you feel like oh wow I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry it feels like eating plastic okay on the whole it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them yet I found The Flash really fun because it was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of The Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web not really giving a fuck about the genre but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it and the trailer was awful it had that terrible line reading in it from Dakota Johnson where she's she's shitting out exposition and I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage and uh, the film itself to me played like a Final Destination action thriller and I thought it was really pleasant it didn't bother me in the slightest I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has it was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And... I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. 
me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Cathy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Cathy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.